Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences. So there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Happy New Year, everybody. My name is Jed Mishu. I'm a writer for MMAfighting.com terrific website and this is a terrific podcast because it is damn they were good in audio exploration into the lives and careers of basically our favorite fighters of all time and this week you you already know what's happening we're talking about the legend himself Mirko Filipovich aka Mirko Krokop but before we get into all things Krokop joining me this week the right leg hospital to my left leg cemetery None other than Mr. Shaheen Al Shadi. That's right, it's just a two man crew. Shaheen, how are we feeling about Mirko Krokop? Feeling wonderful, feeling good. I've been excited for this one. I mostly was excited to do the research for this one because it's been a little bit, man. It's been a little bit since I've been able to dive in on some Mirko Krokop tape, watch some old fights, some stuff I, I had remembered, some stuff I didn't remember, kind of deep dive into the kickboxing in a way that I hadn't in a really long time. It was fun. It was a fun time, and I'm excited for this. It was. I had such a fun time, and I know that that's kind of the refrain we say for all of these. But uh, the last few, it's really been true. Um, you know, we we did Mark Hunt recently, and Mark Hunt has such a deep kickboxing resume that that is super fun. Where we do Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar was interesting to talk about, but it took about five minutes to watch all the Brock highlights. Krokop has fifty some odd fights plus his kickboxing bouts, like. There's so much of it, and it was – I'll be honest with you. One of my favorite parts of the whole prep for this, Shaheen, the second career, the extended life of Mirko Krokop because obviously – and we will talk all about the whole career, but the bulk of it, the thing that people remember the most, it's pride, right? Like that's where he cut his teeth, made his name, and then his UFC run is underwhelming. It's easily the weakest part of his career to even go back and rewatch. It's frankly not – of all the fights I rewatched, the least fun I had was watching the UFC stuff. It it just didn't – they were oil and water somehow. They did not mesh in the way that you would have hoped. But then you can kind of forget because I, I certainly didn't remember it nearly as much of how much of a post-UFC career he had. The rise and run 
fighting just a bunch in Japan for different promotions, the dream stint during his UFC run. Like, this man got written off in, like, 08 and still is doing big things, like, in the mid-2010s. So I I had a wonderful time looking at the totality of his resume, not just the pride stuff. He ended his career on a 10-fight win streak. Just a hero. 10-fight win streak. Man did it right. He finished the UFC stuff and was just like, you know, I'm just going to go collect victories across the world for the rest of my career. That That is how you do it. Also, I had no idea that he fought in Bellator, and I'm pretty sure I covered that card. If you could have asked me a week ago, like, hey, Sean, bet $100, did Mirko Krokop fight in Bellator? I would have told you no, and I would have been pretty confident about it, and I would have had to give you $100. See, I, I did remember that one because that one was right after that is when he suffered the stroke that ultimately kind of – leads to him retiring from combat sports. But I I just remember that happening because that was at the time we're like, all right, it's going to be just so far past its its best buy date. But I won't care. We are in line to get Krokop Fedor too. And sure, it'll be in the Bellator cage and that'll be weird. No one's going to be upset about that, my brother. And then it, it never came to pass. So I, I honestly thought he fought more than once. So I, I would have gone the other way on it. But yeah, uh, he had such a decent career after the peak of it. It's so I don't think the man gets enough credit for that. And it's we're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, but at, before we get into stuff, just a couple of questions for you. What you know, I, I usually like this one. I think it's a good framing device for these conversations. What is what's your first biggest where did Crow Cop come into your life in what fashion? This is an interesting one because I was trying to think about this uh, because this is usually a refrain we we come to on this show is how did this guy enter your life? And I couldn't really bring it up. I couldn't remember. In my mind, Mirko Krokop, from the moment I started enjoying this sport and really following it, he was just always in my life. He was that omnipresent figure just like the rest of the Holy Trinity and Triad, right? It, or Holy Trinity and Pride, right? It was him. Fedor and Nog, and it just felt like they were there forever. I don't remember a time where he wasn't in my life or in my fandom in that regard. And to me, this this episode, and I guess this these themes when we do these type of guys, the Mark Hunts, the Crow Cops, the Fedors, I enjoy these episodes the most because it really harkens me back to a time that is gone, a time that will not come back, but a time that was so much fun because of it was it, so much fun just because it felt so unique, right? Like there were the, all of these guys were such larger than life characters. They had incredible nicknames. They had catchphrases. They had signature moves. It was like you were watching Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or something like that. Like Miracle Krokop is a Street Fighter character, man. Like, come on. Where are the catchphrases these days? No has a catchphrase anymore like light, right leg hospital left leg cemetery is iconic and the the high kick and just the nickname the crow cop because he's a croatian cop do you get it like it's <laughs> it's the stupidest best nickname of all time it's so good man and again just the characters like all of this the, the, i love mma our whole lives revolve around mma but we do not have the characters in that way that like we used to like people nowadays think of a character like a Colby Covington type of like a dude just putting on an act. But like, that's not what this was. Miracle was never really putting on an act. He was just this larger than life figure. Again, all of it, but ultimately like one of the most terrifying strikers in MMA history, right? Like 
if you put together a Mount Rushmore of, of terrifying strikers, he maybe he'll be one of the last cuts, but he'll probably break into the top four, I would imagine. Um, it's just at least kick wise, one of some of the most dangerous kicks in history. And just the way that he would break people, it was really visceral to watch because it would just you you it's the old I feel like it's a it's a cliche to say that he's trying to hurt you with everything that he's throwing. But like Mirko was actually trying to end your career. He's trying to hurt you. He was trying to end your damn career with everything he was throwing. And he was just so mean in there. You go back and rewatch some of these highlights, these knockout highlights. There are so many additional shots that he didn't need to throw, but he was just, he was locked in. He was so mean in there. And I, I, you know, it was just the the head kicks. You you could talk about the head kicks forever, but the minimal windup of it, the the no hesitation on it and just how fast they would come. He'd be so patient. It was just pure explosive power. And it was just ferocious, man. You you see Mirko hit these dudes with these grazing high kicks and they would just barely tap people on the top of their head. And it would, it would seem like they would nuke them. Like they would just be done for in a way that was so incredible to watch. Yeah. The, uh, the meanness is really one. He is, uh, it, this struck me of kind of going through his career. It's like, man, he was really the precursor to Junior Dos Santos in a way of like just one of the nicest dudes ever outside of the cage. All of his interactions seem just like a, a genuine salt of the earth, wonderful human being. But he can flip that switch in there. I mean, do you want a stare down with Vandalay Silva? How many human beings have ever won a stare down with Vandalay Silva? And you're just like, yeah, he's he is equally as mean as a person rightly named the axe murderer. <laughs> like he is he was insane. And to your point on on the kind of where he ranks in the rushmore of terrifying strikers, I don't think it's a question. I don't, I'm not here to say that Mirko Krokop is like a better striker than Anderson Silva. I think that's pretty obviously incorrect. I would way rather fight Prime Anderson than Prime Mirko. Yeah. Like, I have no interest in fighting Prime Mirko. I genuinely think the only person I am less interested in fighting than Prime Mirko is Francis Ngannou. And that's <laughs> it. That's the list. The list is, I don't want to get uppercutted by Francis, and then I don't want to take a head kick from Mirko. Those are, like, right there. Unde- like, his run, and we'll get into it, just battering these dudes who were good fighters and just at his peak. And I'm sure that there are some people listening to this like oh, steroids. I don't care, dude. Genuinely don't care. Um, if, if steroids made me be that cool, I would take steroids because this man was awesome. So it was insane. His career was fantastic. And I think to sort of bring this back to where, where I asked you the question, I was trying to figure out when he entered my life because that kind of period of my fandom is when I got into MMA and that sort of 2002, 2003 is when I became acquainted with it. And then that's my high school years. And then over high school, I got progressively deeper and deeper into it, sort of culminating with the ultimate fighter happening and now MMA being much more accessible versus me just being a forum nerd. I think my first one was, uh, that I was like real time aware of was the big nog fight, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. And it was through that because I, cause I remember going back and looking at highlights of Igor Vichanchin and Heath Herring and those fights beforehand. I wasn't there for that part of the ride, but I was there for the nog and that the myth of nog kind of being even further established as 
overcoming this terrible adversity and look at what he did to this Mirko Krokop guy who is a killer. And then you go back and you realize, oh, Mirko actually is a killer. He is murdering these people. And then he just kept doing it. (laughs) That was was the start of an unbelievable run that 2004, like basically through 2006 is one of the best runs you're ever going to see in this sport. I'm really excited to get uh, into it. And so let's not dilly-dally this week, Sheen. I'm interested. I think we might have a shorter episode this week with only two of us instead of three or four to really get bogged down deep in the remembering some dude conversations. But with Mirko Kirkop, we might get bogged down anyway because there's so much to get into. Do you have anything you want to jump in with before we get to the categories? Good, sir. I don't know if there's anything specifically, but again, just looking around and rewatching old videos and looking at different people talking about Mirko, there's so much good stuff out there. Um, I, so you, you stumble across things like the, the famous picture. There's a picture of his bob, body kick knockout of Heath Herring, where his leg is basically halfway through to speed, like Heath's spinal cord, <laughs> with how much he is caving in this man's body. There's just so many different examples. There's a Josh Barnett, there's a video of him telling a story to Joe Rogan. Oh, the Rogan story? It's great. About he's like training with Mirko years after they fought in Vegas with him and Eric Paulson. And like Mirko's trying to correct him on how to throw a lead hook. And he ends up just trying to do to do to show it, to demonstrate it on Eric Paulson. And it just rips the pad apart. And the entire room is just silent. And everybody in there is just like, what the hell did we just watch? And Mirko's just like, yeah, you know, that's how you do it. <laughs> It's just, it's a fantastic. I found that story was like it's such a good story. I included uh, in the quote section. I have Barnett being like, because at the end of the story, he's like, I took that. <laughs> I I was getting hit with that from him. I fought him three times. It's like it's such a good quote. Yeah, uh, there's so much about him out there. It just it, it goes back to what I said at the top of just these larger than life figures, and it it does make me pine for the days also where we would see the best fighters in the world, in particular the best heavyweights, which are obviously the most circus type of attraction, just the, these big dudes, being able to occasionally fight absolute tomato cans for no reason just, other than so just stay busy and get a cool highlight. And there's so many of these with Mirko and Fedor has them too. And like just th- that arrow was very much about it. But I love it so much of just like you're watching something and then all of a sudden it's Mirko just fighting a dude in a karate game. <laughs> it's like, I wonder where this is going to go. Dude, I it has really struck me as we have gone through because certainly the back end of 2023, we have done a lot of Pride Legends um, intentionally. Like I, I wanted to go back through those. Those are some of my favorite fighters. It was intentional. Really struck me with like, man, we need to get back to to that part of MMA. We every fight doesn't need to be the best guys we can get going. At least not at heavyweight. Look at like lightweight. Yes, just have the best dudes go because there's so many good ones. There are like six good heavyweights, so screw it. Like it's fine if if Tom Aspinall defends his interim real UFC heavyweight title against random dude. I genuinely let Jairzinho Rosa strike fight Tom Aspinall because it will be so fun. And there's no reason not to. Like we can we can have the good fights. We don't have enough fighters to have all good fights. You know what I'm saying? I would take it even further than you. Screw Jarzino Rosenstroke. Like, if Tom Aspinall is just going to be out for the next year, waiting for this dumb heavyweight situation to play out, 
let him fight some fat karate guy or let him fight some sumo wrestler as an as like an open weight just like showcase on a yeah. random pay-per-view tell me you know people wouldn't be interested in that like that is the, you keep interest in tom aspinall because he gets to knock out two random fat guys while he's waiting for john jones you can use that like this is so keep people in keep his, his memory in people's minds like why can't we have fun like this anymore i, I love it it would be so fun and like that was i know that like there's a certain subset of people like pride is stupid but i was like actually those that was kind of the best part about pride we're going to talk about a man named uh ibrahim magomedov which is one of the silliest fights that's ever been made and it's great because it's just like perfect this man was perfect his career was perfect uh i do have one more question that i realized i wrote down but i forgot uh and it's a, it's a serious and important one has there ever been a man more intimidating who uh, is associated with a Duran Duran song? Because I love that Wild Boys, it's just like perfect. It's so silly and so perfect. It never made sense. It, even in the moment, it was just like, how is this working? There's no there's no feasible way that this works. If you if you if you present this man to somebody who has never never seen never seen him before and just describe his life story and sort of what he's about and right like hospital, left leg cemetery, and all, everything that he's about. And you're like, hey, pick a walkout song for this guy. Something that would be fitting for just this guy's really intimidating aura. Wild Boy, like Durant Duran would be 400th on the list. Like it's just, it would never come up. And I don't like the fact that it ends up working in the way it does is frankly incredible. I love it. it it's, I mean, it, and it does work so well. And that's, so, you know, when you've talked about it as our preamble here, it's been like, yeah. Guys felt like Street Fighter characters with signature moves and sort of a, a gimmick or a bit. Like, yeah, we need to get back to that. We need fighters to have like a ridiculous walkout song and only built beat people by kicking them in the face. It's awesome. It was so much fun to go back and look through Mirko's career, dude. For that reason, it's a real missed opportunity. If we, if during Francis and Ganu's reign, we had named his uppercut or something like that. And we had given this man a signature like walkout song and just like really designed this. Maybe it's the predator. He walks out with the predator mask or something like we there are. There are so many missed opportunities here where we could just be having fun with this. We might still get to have it. If he just gets to just bomb on scrubs and PFL, Francis can be our new age Mirko Crow Cop. But let's get into it. Before we do that, we'll do the rundown. But I did want to say that the reason I've chosen Mirko Krokop, Shaheen, uh, it's important. It's because this episode's coming out on December 31st, which is the day of Mirko Krokop, basically. The man fought 10 times December 31st through his, throughout his MMA career. Basically, every other year he was fighting, and there was a stretch where it was several years back-to-back, he was just always fighting on New Year's Eve. Most of those in Japan went nine and one. And I was like, look, if there's a singular date that one man in MMA owns, I feel like Krokop on December 31st is. And so it's fitting to, to do this for him now. And let's do a quick rundown of his career. Mirko Krokop made his kickboxing debut in 1996 and spent five years doing that. Pretty successful runner-up in K1 World Grand Prix. I mean, very successful, not pretty successful. Built a resume and a name and was one of the top kickboxers in the world. Starts jumping to MMA in 2001. He's doing some K1 stuff, some pride stuff, mixed rules bouts, kind of dipping his toe in the water until he just kind of jumps all the way in. 
and it's off to the races. For the next five years, he's in Pride. He is one of the signature fighters of Pride. I have a hot take about that coming up later, so stay tuned. Uh, does a whole bunch of stuff. Most notably, he wins the 2006 Openweight Grand Prix, arguably the biggest accomplishment of his entire career. Moves to the UFC in 2007 with the Pride acquisition. Kind of can't really get things going there in the way we would have hoped. And ends up bouncing around for a good period. He jumps to Dream for a hot minute. He comes back to the UFC. He goes back to Japan. He comes back to the UFC. Ultimately ends up going to Rise and wins a Grand Prix there. Uh, in 2016, and then fights once in Bellator, as we mentioned, and then he hangs it up for good after suffering a stroke in 2019 that he has, you know, fortunately recovered from, but not willing to put his health at risk and continue fighting. So that's the career of, of Mirko Krokop all told. Uh, he set a whole number of records. It's kind of scrawled across the zoo for record books and stuff for, for his various accomplishments. Took home Fight of the Year honors in 2005 for his listener showdown with, with uh, Fedor Emelianenko. Knockout of the Year in 2006 and Fighter of the Year in 2006. Ends up all told with 52 MMA, MMA career bouts and 26 uh, kickboxing bouts. And just is one of the coolest dudes who's ever done the damn thing. So let's talk about him. And we talk about him as always, ladies and gentlemen. If you're your first episode, welcome along. We do things by categories. And the first category is always the Mount Rushmore. You got four fights, Shaheen. Four fights from Mirko Krokop. If you're showing somebody who's never seen him before, the four you got to give to him. And I got to tell you, man. I struggled with this. I don't, I don't know if this one was it was no. hard or easy for you. No, no. I struggled and I cheated uh, also. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I cheated uh, and I struggled. Um, I think there's one that's obvious. I think one is absolutely undeniable and must be on there. I'm sure you'll agree. It is the Fedor Emelianenko contest at Pride Final Conflict 2005, August 8th of 2005. It's the fight of the year in 05. It's the biggest fight in MMA history at that point in time. And we talked about this on the Fedor episode. Probably remained the biggest fight until Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, um, or GSP, BJ Penn. I, you know, one of those two would have supplanted, surpassed it. But when you're in one of the five biggest fights that have ever been, that fight has to make your Mount Rushmore for me. I, I'm assuming you agree with this one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's fight of the year, fight of the decade, like one of the most anticipated fights of all time. There was so many years of build up and so much story behind it. I think that's a lock that has to be on it. And, I, and I'm surprised to hear you say that there's only one that you feel like has to be on there. Because to me, there's two. And the second one is the Vandalay Silva rematch, the knockout, 2006. KO of the year for our website, MMA Fighting. The stare down we talked about, one of the greatest pre-fight stare downs of all time. The only man to ever win a stare down with Vanderlei Silva. The way he brutalizes Vanderlei, the whole left side of Vanderlei's face looks like a horror movie before the end of that fight. That has to be on there too for me. So this is where I cheated because it is on there, but I paired it with Josh Barnett because both of those fights happened at Pride Conflict Absolute in 2006. They were the semifinals and finals of the Openweight Grand Prix that year. Um, if you're not cheating, I can understand you being like, we'll go with the Barnett win because maybe it's not as signature as the Vanderlei win, but it is the one that gets him his greatest accomplishment, probably, you know, his greatest athletic achievement is winning that Openweight Grand Prix. Um, but no, I, I cheated. I bundled them together since they fought on the same night, um, and I, 
I make the rules. I don't care. I'll cheat on my own <laughs> show if I want to, Shane. But yeah, the the Vandalay KO is un, it's an unbelievable KO. Obviously, hearing Josh Barnett um, on that same that same clip, he's talking to Joe Rogan about. Uh, it's in the same Joe Rogan episode when he tells him about the hitting the pads and, and all of that. He's just talking about fighting uh, fighting Mirko because he fought him three times. He's like, man, that open weight Grand Prix. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, it was like it was tough because I was watching their fight because I'm about to go fight uh, Noguera after this in the other semifinal, and so I'm sitting back there watching and I'm just kind of hoping they beat the hell out of each other So because I'm going to have to fight the winner of this fight, I think, because I think I'm going to beat Nog. And then Mirko just runs him over, basically, and I'm just like, ah, shit. Like, he didn't really have to work all that hard, and he just beat the hell out of this dude. <laughs> and now I got to go fight Nog, and that's going to suck. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, man, and then it is. And so I paired it with the Barnett because – Again, he also runs over Barnett. Like this is that night is obviously Pete Krokop. He's he never looked better, never looked more physically overwhelming or dominant. Um, and it it showed up in both of those performances. Even though the Barnett one ends a little weirdly, uh, he's running roughshod over both of these dudes uh, on that night in Saitama. And so that's my number two as well. So I'm 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 with you in principle. My next one. Here's where things got real interesting, Shane, because I went a little bit off the board, I think, on some stuff. I, I'm not sure if you'll have this, but maybe you will. I took Amir, uh, Amir Ali Akbari, the Ryzen World Grand Prix win wow. in 2016. Okay. Uh, I took this for a very specific reason. So one, you're going to notice that my next two choices are not things that I think most people would pick. Because in part, it was so hard to differentiate this incredibly sick shit he did in MMA. It's all just really cool. I have a separate Mount Rushmore of, of head kick knockouts because you can do one of those oh, with yeah. Mirko. Like, there's all so much cool stuff going. I was like, you know what? I totally understand if somebody wants to put like the Alex KO or anything like that. Give me Mir Ali Akbari because this is a bit sentimental. I remember this happening. I remember tuning in. Because that was the time where, like, you know, Mirko's been kind of doing okay. He had come back to the UFC. He had gotten his revenge on Gabriel Gonzaga. There had been some issues with failed drug tests, but anyone who's an adult did not care at all about kind of how that was shaking out. Now he's in Ryzen, comes through, he he wins the kind of the first round of it, and you're like, all right, he's going to fight Muhammad Lawal. He's probably going to beat King Mo, but I don't know. You know, King Mo is not a bad fighter. Beats King Mo, and then you're like, all right, this is old school. It's an open weight Grand Prix, and now he is going to fight two dudes. One of them is fake. <laughs> He's going to definitely win this semifinal against Bruto Kaito, who's a sumo dude. And then he's going to fight Amir Ali Akbari, who was like, you know, at the time maybe could have been good. Still maybe can kind of be okay. He's like a big dude with a, a you know, Greco-Roman world champion. See what happens. And it, it was like getting to turn back the clock because I watched this. I, I watched the Ryzen card real time this, that December 31st. I wasn't doing anything else. And it was, it was getting to turn back the clock and relive the glory days of here's Mirko Krokop fighting a sumo wrestler and a big regular wrestler who probably aren't all that good, but he's going to win an open weight Grand Prix. And he clearly is probably going to piss hot if anybody tested, but they're not going to because it's rising. It was great. It was such a happy, sentimental moment. If his career had ended right there, it would have been perfect. And so 
I put that on my list because I, I had so much fun real time watching that. I don't hate it. I understand. I understand the pick. I'll say that. I don't hate it, but I, I, I mean, a Mirabelli, Hickbari, you know, <laughs> like I can't, yeah. I can't get there but with it, you. But it's also important because it, it speaks to what I was saying at the beginning. It's like this guy also had like a second career life that was, you know, not, not to the highs and the pinnacle of pride, but still damn good. And also because I anticipated a little pushback. Let me say this Grand Prix was actually really good. <laughs> like as far as these things go, it was an open weight Grand Prix. Here's the original rundown. Vandalay Silva was supposed to get a buy in this. He ends up not competing um, for, I think, I think he got injured. Maybe I don't remember exactly what happened. King Mo ends up jumping in there. Mirko, uh, Kazuyuki Fujita is in this. Yuri Prahashka is, is yes. in this Grand Prix. Uh, Amir Alekbari, Shane Carwin was supposed to be in this Grand Prix and then gets replaced by Keith Herring, who, because, again, Shane Carwin can't. Valentin Moldovsky, Bellator legend Valentin <laughs> Moldovsky. This is, like, a honestly not a bad collection of Grand Prix talent for something like this, and Mirko ends up winning it. So I don't feel – I'm I'm not even going to defend myself. It's a great pick, Jed. Great pick. Really proud of you. Sheen, what do you have for number three then? I don't hate it. Again, I don't hate it. I think if, if, you, if you were trying to – Capture something that that sort of represents this incredible run that this man went on to end his career. He really kind of had a storybook ending that of his own making um, to some degree. I mean, obviously, he didn't want to end it when it, when it did end, but ten fights is ten fights, and but you close it out. Think about this versus like Fedor's career end, you know? Absolutely. Or Tony or Tony Ferguson's was, career end. I knew you were going to do it. You couldn't help yourself. I wasn't going to say BJ, so. <laughs> Yeah. Who do you have for for what's your third entry then behind the two that we agree on? So this one was tough for me because I because th- you're right. I think the construction of this Mount Rushmore, some of these guys are just so much more difficult to do than others. And Mirko's for mm-hmm. me was one of the hardest we've had to do. I don't know really. I didn't know which direction to go with it. So ultimately, I I, I went two ways. One, I felt like I had to get something early something before the prime stuff something before fedor and so vanderlei because those are his two signature moments in pride so for me i defaulted to really like i think the moment where he truly first broke out and this and he was already a big name and a big star at this point but to me this was maybe the moment where it's like okay like this guy is legitimately one of the best heavyweights in the world and like he might be the best heavyweight in the world and we just have to see and that's when he knocked out igor volv changed it uh, 2003, Incredible knockout. one of the knockouts of the year for 2003 head kick knockout. It was only in like 89 seconds. He was the first man in a long, long time. I mean, not, not a long time. He was the first man ever to really like fully, fully, fully KO Igor clean like that. Like that Slapped was him. Igor's 60th pro fight at minimum. And it was probably more right. Because Igor was very much from that time where a lot of stuff wasn't documented oh, yeah. and he had never been KO'd clean like that. And it's just the whole thing is is so pure golden era pride. Where like even in the pre-fight package for this, Bass Rutan's like doing shots for some reason while he's like breaking down the fight. This is always what he's doing. <laughs> he's like just drinking booze at the bar with some with the other guy, the, like his analyst, and they're just breaking down the fight in the pre-fight package. It makes no sense. Igor's down for a long, long time after this head kick because of course it was a head kick. 
Krokop jumps on the mic, calls out Fedor. It plants seeds. It plants the seeds for the fight that we eventually get several years down the line. To me, this was just such a seminal moment for him. And again, really his true, true breakout of, okay, this guy is one of the best we have. That to me, it it represented the early part of his career the best. Like I said, uh, I have no issues with this. I have Igor Vipchanchin is the number one in the Mount Rushmore of uh, head kick KOs because he has so many of them. I think it's his best one. Uh, I think if I was going to go sort of this way, that's the one I would have gone, though. I, I would make an argument for Alex as well, but we can get into that later. Yeah, also, buddy, I can't wait till we do the Igor damn. Like, oh, yeah. That's a man who's going to get a damn. You rest your <laughs> rest assured. Igor Vovchanchin is just – what a violent human. Just get or get got, baby. I loved him so much. Just the original lunatic person in this sport. Okay, so that's your number three. There's a chance we share this one. My my fourth one. I uh, again, I wanted to have a well-rounded re- resume. I wanted to have it all, and so I don't feel good about my fourth one. I'll say before you even reveal yours, I, I, I feel really I feel good about, b- bad about my fourth one. Maybe I feel good about my fourth one. I felt bad about my third one, but it was kind of where I was at. My fourth one, though. I wanted to include some of the kickboxing stuff. I think this is the win that aged the worst, maybe in the history of MMA, um, from from what it meant at the time to what it means certainly now. Uh, it's it's his K one win over Bob Sapp yes. in the World Grand Prix in two thousand three. It's look, I understand that Bob Sapp is a joke at this point in time, and uh, you can even go out there and see like there are. Uh, interviews or, or things from Mirko talking about Bob Sapp and what sort of happened in his career downfall and him being like, I once talked to him and was like, dude, what's what's going on? You're not, this isn't who you are. And then he tried to explain it to me and I couldn't really understand what's going on. Bob Sapp has become a joke and uh, a guy who has, I, I guess we can't say explicitly thrown fights, but it sure seems like he's thrown a bunch of fights in his career as it kind of continued going on but at the time he was not that bob sap had back-to-back wins over ernesto hoost like one of the best k1 kickboxers of all time like bob sap was this giant terrifying human being and like even mirko said coming into this fight he's like i was legitimately a bit nervous like i had never beaten ernesto and he had just kind of mauled ernesto twice but to watch that fight back, it's, that's, that's not the viewing it looks. Bob Sapp looks terrified the moment that fight starts. And it is, again, it has become a thing we are accustomed to seeing Bob Sapp on the ground and, and hurt. But at the time, this is not the thing we were accustomed to because you were watching a 350 pound hulking human being get his orbital shattered and he is crying in the fetal position in the middle of the ring. And it was just such a stark and daunting thing. Like, holy shit, this dude is a different kind of animal. And so for me, this one was one of the like this was easier than including the Mira Ali Akbari because I wanted a K1. And you could go with other K1s, but I think this is his most iconic K1 performance, at least as far as I'm aware of. It broke Bob Sapp's face. Like he just genuinely broke, broke, his, broke face. his face. And the way Bob falls too, just sort of cowering and like you said, in a fetal position, just like crying, essentially. Just like crying in the middle of the ring. He's a very And I don't blame him. No. I'd be crying too. Not at all. And you're right. Like, Miracle had lost to Ernesto Hoos three different times at that point. And twice yeah. were like knockouts, like pretty bad knockouts. Like, Bob Sapp was, 
the Bob Sap, the Bob Sap Dam. If we ever get to it, is going to be one of the we're going to get to episodes. one because it's just going to be weird. It's just going to be so so weird because there is such a the gap in perception between who he was for the first like half of his career and who he became ultimately and like the way he's remembered is is one of the most vast in the history of this sport that I can imagine. I honestly think it is the biggest one. That's why, like, I'm not even kidding when I say I think this win is the single biggest win. With is the win with the single biggest gap between what it meant at the time versus what it means now. It was like at the time it was a legitimate and very good win and a dominant win, and now it is no one cares because of what Bob Sapp became. Not that long after this, like really, it is. There are people who have speculated that this is the fight that changed Bob Sapp. That after Mirko, he just didn't didn't really want it like that anymore. And I honestly, can again, I can accept that. <laughs> no, I can't. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, if that's why. Okay, I get it, buddy, because I would be that way too if Mirko Krokop did it. I mean, I know Bob goes on to have a pretty successful continued run through K1, but yeah, like it is just, it's a brutal, brutal KO to go watch back to see a man of that size be rendered into a puddle of like pain and sadness in the way that he was. And so quickly too, because it was like, it was like a minute and a half or something really short. So, that rounds out my Mel Rushmore. I've got some honorable mentions, but you've got a fourth to fill in here, Shaheen. You say you don't feel good about it. Tell me why. So I don't feel good about it because to me, it almost feels like I might be doing a disservice to this legendary fighter by picking these Mount Rushmore fights in the way that I did because I didn't have any kickboxing in there. I probably should have had some kickboxing in there. But ultimately, if I have four fights and two of them are losses... I don't know that that feels representative or as representative as it should be for for an exercise like this, but I just couldn't get away from it because ultimately I went with the Gonzaga oh, one loss it. because that to me is like... Oh, you went with Gonzaga? Gonzaga won because that to me... I thought, you were, I thought it was going to be Nogueira. Wow. No. What, is, what a zag. Because you have to include, at least in my mind, something from the UFC in there because the UFC he was in the UFC three different times, like three different stints. Like he it was a part of his career. And for so long, the question was, what happens if Mirko Krokop goes to the UFC? And we wanted it. We pined for it for years and years. And then it finally happens. And it just flamed out in such a disappointing and anticlimactic and, and really devastating way. It feels inescapable to not include that because that did like signal an end of an era. That signaled the end of whatever that era for Mirko Krokop was, was the Gabriel Gonzaga fight. And I think if you ask 75% of MMA fans right now, that's probably the highlight they know most of Mirko is him just being melted by his own technique by Gonzaga. Like, would you, would you push back on that? If you ask 10, if you pull 10 random no, MMA no, no. fans, do you think they know something more so than that? I think they know other things than that, but I do think that is probably the most common one the one that they think of the most which is weird because the i mean it look it's an it's a great knockout it's a great highlight i take absolutely nothing away from that the thing that makes it so memorable and so significant is the context of of mirko before that and what mirko was and you know this is the thing he does and then it got done to him and so it is a bit strange that most fans probably think of 
Mirko is like, oh, the guy who that uh, big Brazilian dude head kicked that one time. It's like, yeah, but why do you remember that? Like, why is that significant? And they don't know. But yeah, I think you're right. It probably is the number one highlight that people associate with him now. Which is so bizarre to say. So bizarre to say. Yeah. But it is such a bad highlight too. Like the way that he falls, the the, the weird his stuff his leg does during all of it. Like I remember very, very specifically where I was when I was watching that. I was in my parents' house and I was I was like in like the, the side living room. It was it was late at night. I was all alone and I was so excited for Mirko to be fighting in the UFC and like, oh, he's if he wins this fight. He's going to get this title shot. And it was so dumb that they made him do this because he was like the number two heavyweight in the world at that point. And they wouldn't just give him the damn title shot. They had to, he had to show himself to the audience. So like, whatever, I get it. And I was just so flabbergasted when this happened. I, and I was worried for him. And it was just so many emotions running through my mind of I can't believe what I just watched. It was the most surreal moment of my MMA viewing experience up to that point. And it's just, again, I think they it's kind of like one of his signature highlights for better or worse. And that that's weird to say for a guy who has so many legendary highlights. Uh, this is, I refuse to accept this on your Mount Rushmore. This is an insane choice. We're not here to remember the bad things about Miracle Cop. We're here to celebrate the good. And uh, look, if you're going to just pick Anthony Peroche, he's fighting a dude named the hippo. That's funny. If you got to have a UFC thing in there, remember the hippo? There you go. That's that's the thing is UFC run was just so awful. Like it just wasn't none of the, we never got the fun thing that we wanted. We were all just like, Mirko, just do the thing. Come on. Just, just kick somebody in the face. Come on, come on, come on. And it never happened. And so it was lame. So I didn't have any issue leaving uh, the UFC run off. I got a few honorable mentions. Um, the number five, the one that if I uh, wasn't going to do Amir Ali Akbari, the one that I would have, uh, and I feel bad for this one for entirely different reasons than you did, because um, it feels disrespectful to another legend of the sport, uh, Mark Coleman. Ooh, because, that's a bad one. That's a bad, man, bad one. That I think that's about as peak uh, as Mirko ever gets. Like he, Mark Coleman you know, past his prime, not the fighter he once was still a competent fighter at this point in time. And Mirko, I mean, it is a full blown demolition from, from start to finish. It takes three minutes or whatever, but that fight is over in the first 20 seconds. It is just such a comprehensive beatdown of a significant MMA figure that if I was going to have one more, it would be from pride. Cause that's the key run. And I think I would go this one over even any of the highlights just because, all of the highlights are great, but this one is so – this one's the most brutal, I think, because like he batters every part of Mark Coleman. Mark Coleman is on just all of the extra vitamins that a man has ever taken. He is the largest you've ever seen, Mark Coleman, and he gets brutalized. And then soccer kicks to finish it off. That's the thing. It's, of the things that I don't want to have happen in my life, Mirko Krokop soccer kicking me is just – very high on the list. So that's my number five. Uh, if I, if I were to pick another one, uh, I've got all the highlights in a separate section, like all the, all the individual knockouts, but shout out to one, uh, taking on Jerome LeBanner in your kickboxing debut. If you, you can go watch this fight it's out there, it's super funny. Cause Mirko Krokop as a 19 year old is hilarious. 
Um, his legs are so large and like his upper body is not unmuscled, but it is, it just looks like you have put a small, like a small fit man's body on top of this dude with tree trunk torso. Like it is just, it, and he's a child. So it looks really funny. Uh, and also taking your drill banner in your debut is that's some pretty hard man shit right there. That's not, that's, that's not an easy way to start off. And uh, Ishmael Lant, again, I this is the thing that I did not remember at all when I went back. He won a K1 Grand Prix. Now, granted, mm-hmm. it's in 2012. K1's not you know the organization it was at that point in time. But winning a K1 Grand Prix in 2012, essentially you haven't really fought K, like kickboxing in 10 years or whatever. You have this rough run in the UFC you're sort of bouncing around. You're like, I'll go back and do some kickbox. And it's like, actually he just F's around and wins the whole thing. Finally wins a K one championship, something he could never accomplish during sort of that peak part of his career does it in 2012. So I think that just kind of had to at least be on an honorable mention because again, it's what an incredible post prime run this man had. Yeah. The crow cop final fight which I remember covering at the time, was 2012. And this was how it was framed. It was Krokop final fight, a fight in Croatia against Ray Sifo. Ray Sifo. In 2012. And then he, the man ends up still going until 2019, seven years after Krokop final fight. Just incredible. Uh, I will say to add on to what you were saying, the Mark Coleman one was on my short list of honorable mentions as well. And that speaks to something we already spoke about, which was the meanness and the extra shots the 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 assurity to always get the extra shots in and in pride in particular they were always the soccer kicks if so if you're prone on the ground and you've just been knocked out by Mirko Krokop you are getting one, yeah. one or two soccer kicks as well before if I'm about to have that fight I'm telling UG like dude when I die please save me please save me before the soccer kicks uh, just the meanness in some of those uh, also I will say the Hongman Choi leg kick knockout <laughs> is just yeah. is right up my alley. That's what I want from my combat sports. Just some circus shit like that. The Alexander Emelianenko knockout is absolutely savage. It is is disgusting with how brutal it was. Hideki- that one is so that one's so special too, just because of the thing, like the, the iconic video of Fedor backstage watching his yeah. brother fight watching his brother get knocked out and you're like, we know these two dudes are going to fight. The story, we know this is going to happen. It took them, you know, another year after that, but it was, that was a hype hype thing at the moment. Absolutely. And this, just the story, it was all going into it. Uh, a couple others. Hideki Yoshido KO is one of the funniest things ever to me because this man, I, I believe he's wearing a full karate gi. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's wearing a full karate gi and he gets tagged with the left hand and then, for some reason, which is one of the most insane decisions anybody's ever made in a fighting ring, gets tagged with this left hand and then mocks Mirko and challenges him to come forward and cut like, hey, come fight me, come fight me. And then three seconds later, less than three seconds later, like a half a second later, gets immediately smacked with the most disdainful leg kick you have ever seen in your life. And he's just done. He just melts to the ground like five seconds after taunting Mirko Krokop in his prime. Uh, very unadvisable decision, but you do you, Hideki Yoshida. Uh, you should just never, ever taunt Mirko Krokop, even not in his prime. It's, it was a bad plan. Yeah, he's like, hit me in the face, Mirko, do it. And so he kicks him in the yeah. leg. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and just kicks him. He just falls over, and then, <laughs> then he falls over, and then he's like standing over. To, like Mirko's like, "Do I go after them?" And the ref's like, "Get up, get up." He's like, "No, I don't want to do this. It's awesome." And last one, <laughs> such a dismissive. We need more geese in MMA. We really do. We make everything a thousand percent funnier. <laughs> this dude in a full gee is just like. I don't want to get up. No, you got to get up. You literally were just talking shit to this man. I'm good. I'm set right here. Right, Dude, if my I'm YouTube good. algorithm brings up a fight between a thickly muscled man and another man in a gi, I'm watching whatever that is. Like, I, however yeah. long that's going to be, I'm watching it. That's how you get me in the door. Uh, one other one, last one from me. Very inconsequential in the in the grand scheme, but just the, for the aesthetics of it. Kickboxing fight against a man named Ricky Nielsen. Uh, Nick, Ricky... Nicholson, Nicholson, uh, Nicholson, yeah, yeah, is super brutal. You should look this knockup up on YouTube if you guys are listening to this at home. Ricky Nicholson, Mirko Krokop, it is bad. It is a bad, bad, and it's just again is, goes to is that speak his of first head kick. It's one of them. It was when he was still establishing the the legacy of, of the catchphrase, and you can see why. I think it might be his first per. Wikipedia, it is because I remember looking at this and being like, one, it is absolutely savage. And two, I, I do think that this is his first head kick KO. I'm sure there's uh, some undocumented stuff in there and things like that, but it's certainly one of the early ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I pulled it up just to rewatch it because it's, it's quite fun. Um, man, underrated. Man had some nasty uppercuts too, though. Whew. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. One last one I do want to talk because I just don't really – it didn't have anywhere else to put it. Um, and I felt a little weird leaving this off, but I didn't want to have two losses. It's not as significant. It's a big dog fight at Pride Final Conflict 2003. I mean, it's for the interim heavyweight title um, at the time. It's some organizations or media outlets had this as the fight of the year in 2003. I could not find our fight of the year for 2003. But – it's a dope fight. Like it's Krokop is styling on Nog for the first 10 minutes and then Nog gets the takedown, moves to mount. Krokop doesn't have the tools there and gets armbarred. It's like it's a terrific comeback and a, a really, really good fight that is a kind of one of those forgotten gems. But if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it because it's quite good. So shout out to that fight. I couldn't put you anywhere else, but this seems like a good time to honorably mention you. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Our next category 
the I'm not impressed by your performance award. Uh, I'm not impressed by your performance. Obviously, uh, George St. Pierre once famously said this, and this is the category where we talk about the times that you let us down as a fighter, didn't bring your best, worst performance, etc. This, Shaheen, this is where you put Gabriel Gonzaga because you're right. It is it, it is a part of the Mirko Krokop story. It's a part you can't get away from. It is, it's, it's a, it's a significant moment and a significant thing. And I remember it kind of tilting the MMA world on it, on the axis for, for at the time because of what had happened and how it happened. And it was so stupid that it had to happen in the first place and all of the things that fell out from it. That was really the moment I think more than any other where the discussion was, Oh, pride died. Like pride has pride has finally died. And it was singularly in the moment where Gabriel Gonzaga of all people had kicks Mirko Krokop. This was a clear choice for me as the runaway winner here. However, since I'm assuming you didn't put this here since you had it in your Mount Rushmore, I feel like I may know the choice you've made for the I'm not impressed by your performance award. What would you guess? Is it? Is it? Kevin Randleman, the first time. No, no. I mean, that no, because no. I, I that's again, that to me is an iconic moment. And I think Kevin Randleman at that point, like he's not at the level where I would be disappointed by that. Because Kevin Randleman is he still lost Kevin Randleman. Two in a row. But he's Kevin Randleman. He's like the most athletic man in the history of the sport, you know? Like I can't. He is, fault but he you knocked him that. out in like four seconds. That's not a thing Kevin does. Also, you got to remember the context, my good sir. This is the heavyweight GP. This is the opening round of the heavyweight GP. If Kevin, if Fedor, Fedor is in the other leg of this fighting, hold on. Mark Coleman fights Mark Coleman on the other side of this. This is supposed to set up Krokop versus Fedor. Krokop's supposed to beat Kevin Randleman, who can't wrestle him. He's going to get kicked in the head. Fedor's going to beat Mark Coleman. Bob's your uncle. We get the matchup. Instead, we get Fedor, and now we get the Randleplex. So shout out to this for for leading to that. There were things that led from this, right? Like Kevin Randleman moves on to fight Fedor immediately after this and gets the Randleplex. Like there's too much involved in this. Also, like this is, again, why I love the old days. That that win sat for like eight months, and then Krokop got his revenge. They like Krokop fought like eight times yeah. in two thousand four, and like within the same he year, so he much. fought Kevin Randleman twice. Like they they just kept running him out there. So like they didn't he didn't have he, to sit with that loss very long. The fact that he fought eight times in 04 is like that's just insane. That does not happen anymore. Just like yeah, dude, just are oh, you ready to go get paid again? Come on, let's go, dude. It's awesome. And they're like real fights. Like he he gets knocked out clean by Randleman in April 25th. He's out there on May 23rd fighting someone else. He's on August 15th. He's fighting yeah, Alexander. On Alexander, or I'm sorry, he's fighting Alexander Emelianenko on August 15th. And then he's fighting Josh Barnett on October 31st. Then he's fighting Kevin Randleman again on December 31st. Like the Knocks activity level. Three UFC heavyweight champions back to back to back beats beats them all. Um, in a span from October thing. to February. This is going to be a bit of a divert, like a, a digression, but I just want to say this because I've been sitting on this take and I've shared it, I think, once before. I really think the best way to build stars in MMA and people are like, oh, we can't get it. You just got to fight a bunch. And then like if you fight a bunch in one year, then people will know you because that's sort of what Hamza did. He fought three times in the span of two months and now suddenly everyone knows Hamza. 
Look at what Mirko did. He fought eight times in 2004, and he won most of those by violent knockout. Of course you're going to know who the hell he is. He fought eight times. Like, do more of that instead of this fight once or twice a year and try to optimize your performance. Just get in there and get busy, young fighters. See what happens. This is what I'm saying. Tom Aspinall, you're going to sit out a whole year. Run Tom Aspinall out here four times in the first six months. in there. Dude. Tom Aspinall, four times in the first six months of 2024, give me him just beating tomato cans over and over again. Because you're right, the short-term memories we have with MMA, we're doing this every single week. If four different times over the course of the first six months of this year, we can talk about Tom Aspinall flattening some dude on a post-show, it's only going to be making things bigger. It's so much easier. Like, like one, we should never cut Parker Porter for obvious reasons. But, like, you're telling me that we as a website wouldn't get – of just immensely behind Tom Aspinall versus Parker Porter as like just an interim have like a, a silly nonsense or Chris Barnett versus Tom Aspinall. Do it as a non-title February. fight. Just do it as a non-title yeah, fight. You non-title to, fight. Everything doesn't also, need to be so official. Tom, particularly because Tom has an interim belt, so who even cares? Just do Tom non-title fight against Parker Porter in February, and then he comes back in April and fights Chris Barnett, and he comes back in May and fights, you know, whoever. Uh, I'm trying to think of who's another, like, short, pudgy heavyweight that the UFC currently employs. It's, like, mid but fun. It would just be so fun. Get Gar- Carpenter over there, out there in like Arkansas. Just like get somebody. Yeah, it would just be fun, dude. Let's just have some fun. It would be great. Let this man leave a trail of bodies in his wake so that when he eventually does fight for the actual heavyweight title or just becomes the heavyweight champion, however this works out, we've just seen him all year and everybody's hyped for it rather than like, oh, remember back in November when he fought Sergei Pavlovich and that was like yeah. 10 months ago at this point. Particularly because when Tom's killing people in 90 seconds, like, no, because he fought for 90 seconds in November. Like, let's get a little more Tom action. This this needs to be this is a good take by us. This needs to be on our, our wish list for 2024 to try and manifest this happening. We've gone too far astray. I said Gabriel Gonzaga for I'm not impressed. I ran, My runner-up is Kevin Randleman, one. You disagreed. What is your I'm not impressed for Mirko Krokop? To me, it was the fight right after Gonzaga. Oh, the Czech Congo. That's not his fault. It's it's I'm it's depressing. It's it's not that a good time. It's the most depressing fight. It's not a good time career. at all. And and what it signified for a lot of people, I think, is the worst part of it to me. Because obviously this fight sucks. This fight was not fun. This fight features a lot of ball shots of Mirko just getting his nuts smashed in with no like complete impunity check congo just cheated so hard and nothing happened he won the fight almost as a direct result of it very much has a direct result of it and then it just shows on his ledger two losses in a row in the ufc and i remember the reaction after this fight i actually looked up on mma fighting our write-up of this fight from back in the day in 2006 i believe it was or whenever it was uh no not 2006 that was uh 2007 and like is Michael David Smith and it's him essentially being like, well, this proves that he was never good. That was kind of the takeaway for a lot of the people of like, well, this just shows that Mirko was never good. And all the pride guys were overrated because he's out here losing a Chuck Congo. And to me, that is like, that has to be the nadir of all of this of just like, Oh man, like not only did he get head kicked by Gonzaga, but like he's losing really dumb, dumb 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 fights against chuck congo of all people like this is a not go in the way that it was supposed to and so for me that is again the nadir of this 
I can accept this just because this is definitely the saddest fight of the entire career. Like the Gonzaga fight was just shocking. But Mirko, credit to Mirko. I mean, we talked about ending on a 10-fight win streak. One of the best parts about his career is that we didn't – we never had to go through the this is painful phase that we've had to do with so many legends. And even if guys like Fedor – they had a painful stretch and maybe they got the train back on the track for just a moment in time. Mirko never really had that. He had, Hey, he's not there. He's not what he was, but it, there was never like, Oh, Mirko's fighting. This is tough. The check is the check fight is the one fight where it's like, this is hard to watch just because I too am a man with, um, cojones and it, it hurt to watch the man for empathy's sake. Like it was just, Chuck Congo's a big fella to just be firing knees right on into the to the private bits is a tough, tough scene. So I accept your answer, even if I don't still don't agree. And I think Gonzaga is the choice here. Real quick, honorable mention. Don't get knocked out by Brendan Schaub, please. I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want Brendan Schaub to be able to say that he knocked out Mirko Krokop. I just want no part of this. Please don't do that, Mirko. Is that the only like good win Brendan Schaub has. I mean, he beat right? Gonzaga. He, he he got the Mitrione win. He has a couple. I guess Mitrione's a serviceable win, but uh, uh, the less said about Brendan Schaub, the better. That's that's a good shout out, though. That's a good honorable mention. I respect that honorable mention. Our next category: the Who the fuck is that guy? Award. Who the fuck is that guy? I love this. This is, for this the, is the best. This is for the. This is the easiest. This is the easiest one of the whole damn thing for me. It's for the weirdest, strangest, most ridiculous uh, opponent that uh, Mirko Krokop faced in his entire career. I, I teased this one earlier, Shaheen. This is super easy for me. I think there's plenty of way to go here if you wanted to, because we, you know, he has fought some people. Uh, I did not remember that he fought Rock Martinez. <laughs> That's the thing that happened. Like. There are some surprising and weird ones because of how his career worked, but the one that made the most sense to me is the one I wanted to talk about, and it's Ibrahim Magomedov at Pride Final Conflict 2005. This happened in June 26, 2005. You may be like, well, why is that? Magomedov guy's probably a fighter. Why is that so weird? Well, because as far as I can tell, I still don't understand why this fight occurred because at this point in time, Krokop was set to fight Fedor. They were agreed to fight at August 28th, two months after this fight happened, in Saitama for the heavyweight championship. A, a massive fight becomes the fight of the year, one of the best fights of all time. That fight is already booked and ready. And yet he fights Ibrahim Magomedov, who is a training partner and teammate of Fedor. And so I guess it's a setup fight. I'm not really sure, but Krokop does the damn thing. Uh, beats the hell out of this dude, kick to the body, ends up finishing it off. It's a weird thing. Like, go watch this fight on Fight Pass. It's a uh, after the fight is just awesome because it's a teammate of Fedor, so Fedor's there. Krokop and him like shake hands and hug like three different times. We're like, oh yeah, hey, congratulations. After this, then they give they give Krokop the mic and he's like, hey, I'd like to uh, um, call whoever uh, who's who's the Pride's dude. Why can't I think of his name right now? The Pride Pride CEO. Um Saki Kabara? No, yeah, but he doesn't call in Saki Kabara. He 
calls in whoever. Um, I can't remember who it is. He calls in one of the pride officials, and the, the name is escaping me right now. If you said it, I'd get it. And he's like, hey, come in. Dude, come in. He's like, I would like you to uh, invite Mr. Fedor Emelianenko into the ring. And so then he does. Fedor comes in uh, with the belt, wearing a shirt. They do like a face-off. It's, it's just this so big feel thing. And as it's happening, I was like, this is the original John Jones facing off with Francis Ngannou after Mo Green gets killed. It's just like, this fight didn't need to happen. This fight only happened to set up this moment where the two of these dudes face off next to each other in this big arena filled with people. And it's awesome. It was such a good setup for the fight that would come two months later. And Ibrahim Magomedov went back to living in ignominy and no one knows who the hell he is still don't have no interest in knowing who he is. So he was an easy choice for me for this award. Shaheen, what about you? First of all, I'm stunned. I'm stunned because I thought there was, I thought we were going to be unanimous on this. I thought we were going to meet in the middle on this and be in the, be on the same page. And we're not, which is just, I I'm, I'm very, very surprised with where you landed. But I, I would say with the, with your explanation of all of this and questioning why this happened, this goes back to exactly what we're saying. It happened because you can't. Mirko's not going to sit on the sidelines for two more months. Man wants to get in there and break some bodies. And he did just that. Like, this was so low risk. I love it. I absolutely love it. This is all just part of the story. But he had already fought in February. <laughs> it wasn't like he hadn't fought in eight months. He fought in February. What do you want? Like, you want to fight in June? Eight months? Come on. Two eight months? weeks? I want to wait for two months to fight Fedor. Oh, it's it not like matter. it's the he biggest fight. It's not like it's the biggest fight Ever. of all time at that point. Come on, you know? But that's the thing. Like, what if, what if, I mean, one, we don't know what we know now, but like a man named Magomedov, probably not a pushover. He ended up being a pushover, which is fortunate. But like, what if Ibrahim, Kevin Randleman's this, and then suddenly we're just in this world now. It's such a silly, silly fight to happen. But it didn't end. But it, I mean, sorry, but he didn't. And instead we got a, like another, you got another little drop in the story. The story they built was why that fight between him and Fedor was so big. Is because all of these little drops in the buckets, man, all of these little moments that just kept adding on and adding on, the mystique of this fight before it even happened was unlike anything that we have ever seen, except for maybe Conor and Aldo, because Conor and Aldo also had the same elements of so many drops in the bucket, I mean, and this yeah. has been so long in the making, and we've had these missed chances for it. Like, that is the closest comparison that I can think of. But Okay, then who did you choose? Because I have a couple, I had a couple honorable mentions that... I'm Dude. starting to think maybe you went with Dude, one of them. I, come on. I thought this was the Dos Caras Jr. section. I thought this was going to be the Dos Caras <laughs> Jr. conversation. Because what the fuck was that? Like that is That goes to speaking of exactly what we're talking about, of just the dumb shit that people would do in Pride for just to stay busy. Like this man, we talked about the Volchanskin, Igor Volchanskin head kick. He head kicks Igor. And then like two months later, three months later, he's in there fighting Dos Caras Jr., who, if you've never seen this fight... Dos Caras Jr. was not a fighter of note. He was a professional wrestler who you probably know as Alberto Del Rio, the WWE superstar. He, he was three and two at the time. Thank you very much. He comes into the ring wearing a luchador mask for no real reason other than the fact that, again, professional wrestler, you got to stay with the gimmick. It's and deeply funny that they let him fight a luchador mask. He looks terrified. He looks like more Which scared. Which is impressive to pull off. While wearing a loose door mask. You can see it in his eyes. He looks more scared for this fight than any human being has ever looked for any other fight. 
And you understand why very quickly because as soon as this fight starts, well, he's Alberto Del Rio. He's a professional wrestler. He's not an actual fighter. And it plays out like that. And it's, it's the fight itself is what 46 seconds and it just ends up with a head kick knockout because of course it does but like i just love that that's what we're doing with prime mirko it's like hey we got nothing for him for a couple months let's trot him out here against this professional wrestler and let him do some work by a couple of months you mean next month he would fight big nog for the interim heavyweight title you know like hey i know you're fighting for the interim heavyweight belt in 30 days what if you fight this pro wrestler cash some checks miracle um this is a terrific call out one shout out to alberto del rio alberto rodriguez i think is his real name uh who also fought tito ortiz in 2019 that's a thing that happened i don't know if you remember that gene but it is a thing that occurred because he like works with Combat Americas, or did. Maybe he doesn't anymore. I'm not like super up on my Alberto Del Rio stuff. Great, that's a great call. A uh, couple of couple of honorable mentions here. I already mentioned, already have have said both names, but one, uh, it's still quite funny to me that Anthony Parosh got to fight Mirko Krokop. Like the hippo, just doesn't feel like that's a dude who should have ever fought Krokop. And then uh, Bruno Kaito, just because. Bruno Kaito is the guy he fought in the semifinals of uh, of the Grand Prix, but uh, of the Rising Grand Prix. He's a professional sumo wrestler who is from Estonia, and it's quite funny. And just a shout out to the good old days of, of Pride matchmaking. Our next category, the Randall Plex Award. This was an incredibly difficult category. It's the category where we talk about highlights, the best single career highlight. Take it around. I have four. I did a Mount Rushmore of these, and I left one of them off because I, there were five things I wanted to mention. If I had to be narrowed down to one, it would be the Ego of Chanchen KO. I think it is his best KO in, in pure aesthetics. But it's obviously an incredible KO. My Mount Rushmore also has those cars because I think that's quite a funny <laughs> KO. <laughs> um, uh Ron Waterman, because bad one. That's a it's bad a head, one. It 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 it's really really mean, and it doesn't get called. I think it's officially ruled TKO soccer kicks, but it all starts with a head kick that kind of sends Waterman to wanting to be done, and then it's just a firing soccer kicks until the fight finally ends. Very very vicious, and then the Alexander Emelianenko one. I think you know that rounds out my Mount Rushmore of head kick KOs that we've we've sort of talked about all of these. I did have one that and my honorable mention for the Mount Rushmore of KOs was the Heath Herring picture you talked about earlier. That iconic photo of the body kick that looks like Krokop's foot is gone all the way into the spinal cord. It is. <laughs> you can just go like go Google Heath Herring Krokop, and one of the first images that will pop up is that kick. It is brutal. So. I think there's no wrong way to eat this Reese's when it comes to Mirko Krokop. You could have, I mean, you could have the Bob Sap. There are a ton of outrageous KOs in, you know, K1 that, you know, both, both his second career there and his original one, ton of meat on this bone. I went with those four for a Mount Rushmore. What did you do here, Shaheen? So I defaulted to this category. I, lately I've been doing this with this category of like, what do I feel like would be, the best 30 second TikTok clip of like, what's the best like mashup you could put together for, for someone's like highlight. 
So I went with the Vanderlei Silva KO because I think there's a very easy a great clip you can put together of the stare down and then the knockout and just Vanderlei again looking like he's been mauled by Jason or Freddy or whoever. Like he's just looking like he's straight out of a horror movie with what's going on with his face. And then the head kick knockout, that's just such a clean knockout. And it meant so much at that point in time. It's probably the most meaningful knockout in addition to the Josh Barnett one, right? Which isn't... The Josh Barnett one's not as clean of a knockout. Like the 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 Vanderlei one really set the tone for that night and what that night would mean yeah. for, for Mirko. So for me, that's where I defaulted. I mean, I, I think that's a great choice. It, the imagery of it is spectacular. The bloodied, like bloodied and battered uh, Vandalay as his like face is just on the canvas. It's it's a tough one. I will say on the Josh Barnett one, because I didn't mention it earlier, arguably even more brutal than the Vandalay one. Like the Barnett is taking a beating before that fight gets stopped. Like the shots to the body are just cruel in that fight. So shouts to Josh Barnett, who appropriately, as you mentioned at the top, you know, kind of notes how hard this dude hits and was like, that sucked to fight him three different times. And I sure did it. That He fought him three different times after already fighting Big Nog to a decision that night. Like, come on, just, man. Just a lunatic, man. Man, MMA used to be great. What a, what a time to be alive. Our next category the right leg hospital, left leg cemetery. Shane, I want I want to let all the listeners know um, this category makes me very sad because there is not a good quote out, like a, a good audio quote of this quote out there of him saying it, or of I you know somebody else saying this to intersperse that audio in here, and, and people can understand it because when Mirko says it, it's in Croatian, <laughs> so it's like that doesn't hit as hard, but. This is for the best quote said by or about the fighter. The easiest choice of all time. When you have the category named after you, you that's going to win the award. The award is going to be given to Right Leg Hospital, Left Leg Cemetery. One of, if not the most iconic like quotes, the iconic taglines, I would say. Because, you know, maybe like, uh, I'm not impressed by your performance or like the other people have maybe quotes that have resonated a little more broadly, but they're not taglines. They're not, hey, this is what you put on the bottom of my fight poster. You can't put uh, who the fuck is that guy on the bottom of a fight poster, but you can absolutely put right leg hospital, left leg cemetery, man. That is some cold stuff. It's so good. You said it. It's one of the coldest catchphrases ever. It's one of the coldest quotes ever, but just like catchphrases in itself, you know me, like I'm a language guy. I'm a prose guy. The economy of language in these six words, man, it tells you everything that you need to know. Right leg. It's a short hospital. story right there. Right leg, comma, hospital. Left leg, comma, cemetery. Like that is beautiful. That is beautiful language right there. I just wish we had more catchphrases. If, if Francis Ngannou I mean, would knock a dude out and then be like, that uppercut sent you to hell or whatever. Like something cool, you know, like that's very much not cool. But like there's a cool <laughs> version of that. Does he standing over the body? Like, why can't we have this? It's a great question. Um, there is uh, a wonderful piece on. It's a great website, Sheen. It's called MMAfighting.com. And it's written by a young man named Sean Alshati. I don't know if you um, are related or have heard of him. But uh, it's 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 about Mirko Krokop. It's Mirko Krokop kind of reflecting after the end of his career. He talks about it, and this is one of my favorite things. Like when I went, was doing the research and found this thing, it's like 
he's talking about the origin of this catchphrase. And it's so it's so crocop how it happened because it's just matter of factly. It's like, yeah. So how did this happen? I think I was talking to Boss Root and just kind of joking around, and he's asking like, what am I going to hit him with? Um, you know, which, which leg am I going to kick my opponent with? And I was like, I don't know. If he's lucky, it'll be my right one. <laughs> it's like why? Well, because if I kick him with the right one, he'll just go to the hospital. If I kick him with the left left one, it's cemetery. I'm just like, dude, to matter of factly say that, just like. It's just unreal stuff from him. I love it so much. Uh, it's it's one of the best things that's ever happened in the sport, frankly. <laughs> a couple of other quotes I have, just honorable mentions. Um, he, I don't know if you remember, Chael Sonnen like got under his skin at one point in time. You know when Chael was being Chael, and uh, he he goes on some sort of a morning show or whatever. And he's talking about it. And so the quote maybe is a little bit – I've seen different versions of the quote because it's translated, but it's just a great quote of Mirko talking about Chael Sonnen. He's like, yeah, I don't really want to say too much bad about him or whatever. Like I understand that people talk a lot in this sport and like that's what's going on, you know, whatever. But then the quote is, you can tell by his face that the man is slow, that he is stupid, and his IQ is not higher than the size of the shoe he is wearing. And I'm just like, yeah, Mirko, that's – Jesus. You can tell that he's dumb and his IQ is not bigger than his shoe size. Savage. Sick one. The, the matter of fact way he speaks is just so yeah. good, right? It's just presenting you this information. This is the best. Uh, I have the Josh Barnett story. Won't go over that again. And then I have a sadder quote, but one that feels. Um, I just I like quotes like this about fighters reflecting sort of an, an understanding. This is a quote from him after the JDS fight where he gets knocked out. I have 20 years of training like a Spartan behind me. It is caught up with me. My body is broken down. I'm worn out. And it's just like that's a bit of a bummer, but it's it, the, the economy of words, as you so put it, really drives across sort of exactly how the end of a career like his like this happens and so uh that was a good quote as i was going through stuff what do you have here sheen no i mean it's right leg hospital left leg cemetery that is it that's that's the sole okay. thing i yeah. have because it's the only, when, again, it's the only thing you need. when you name the category after this that's the winner it's the only thing any of us ever really needs New category. So I'm thinking about redoing the categories as we move into 2024. We tried this one out last time. I liked it. It's a hot take category. It's where you're going to, if you have a hot take about the career of Mirko Krokop, you know, load it up and fire it out. I got one for you, Sheen. I don't know if you have one. I know that this is where I thrive. But as I was going through his career, I'm not sure that I believe this all the way, but I kind of think that maybe I do. Mirko Krokop had the best pride career of all of the big pride stars. You're talking Vandele Silva, Fedor, Nogueira, Shogun, like the guys who we think of as pride. Mm-hmm. Mirko obviously in that kind of holy uh, four or five people, that, that, that key group. Obviously, Fedor maybe had the quote-unquote best, the most accomplished, right? And you know, Vandele had the most wins or whatever. He hasn't exactly won any of those, but... Dude, it's so goddamn fun to watch his pride fights. Like, it is so unbelievably fun to watch his like his failures. Like when he did lose, it was significant in a way that was spectacular. 
like his loss to Nog, one of the best fights of that year. The Kevin Randleman sensational Fedor, an unbelievable fight. And then his other fights are just such – the highlights are more spectacular than Fedor's highlights are, the totality of them, because every one of them is him kicking some dude in the face. And, like, that's just not how it worked for Fedor. Like, great wins and an amazing career to rewatch. And we did Fedor. We talked all about it. But I think – from a pure entertainment viewing standpoint, you got to go watch. You get to watch one fighter's career in pride. Who's it going to be? Whose fights are you going to take to the desert island? I think I might take Mirko Krokop's pride career. Man, throw my you throw me for a little bit of a loop here. I'm sitting here working through this as you're speaking. My knee jerk is to say Fedor because obviously it's Fedor because he was the guy. He didn't lose. He was the one. The whole time. But if it's if we're free framing this as who is the most entertaining pride career, which that yeah. feels like what this is rather than best. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Because best is different than entertaining. Well, no, best you just have to take Fedor because he never lost. So like obviously it's and he fought a whole bunch and it's very accomplished. But like if I'm just going like who who is the most watchable pride fighter of all time? I think I'd have a better answer for you though. What I, I don't know. I mean, look, Shogun's great, but dude, he had like Mirko has like twelve first round knockouts. It's just sick. Shogun has just as many. You look at Shogun's entire run; he didn't lose at all, right? Except for the broken arm, Mark Holman thing. And every other fight is first round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout. Stomp, soccer kick, stomp, soccer kick, stomp, soccer kick. <laughs> Like this man, it, it's was, a great, it's a great run. So I said it wasn't a hundred percent sold. I'm not. It's a half baked hot take. I like it's still it. in the oven, but I like it. it. But it really jumped out at me as I was going through it, and I was like, I kind of want to bring the hot take because I want to discuss this because, man, when I was rewatching his career, it was so it was easy because like, all right, cue up another one. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna watch this video for four minutes, and then the KO is gonna come. Cue up another one. We're just doing this. It's never like. He was going to be a 15-minute slug. <laughs> this is not what happened. It was awesome. This career is so damn fun, man. Do you have a hot take for Ashim? I don't. You can't, You kind of laid this category on me late, so I don't have one I for did. you. And that's fine. We don't have to. Um, I think we're going to bring this in moving forward, and I may restructure some of these. And just I've got a couple of category ideas. We just got to keep things fresh. You know, you don't want to get stale. It's not not the idea. However. We are going to continue on. We're going to move to our next category, the Fedor Sweater of Absolute Victory Award. This is for the piece of memorabilia that you would want to have if you could own one thing from the fighter's career. I got a couple. Um, I think the obvious answer, right? Like there's the the clear-cut choice, I think, is just a pair of the checkerboard shorts. I mean, some of the most iconic fight shorts in the history of the sport. Seems really, really obvious to pick that one. Um I have another one uh, that mostly I just want to use this category as a thing, as a way to talk about another aspect of Krokop. But first, let me throw it to you. I saw you nod along with checkerboard shorts. Uh, was that your choice or is that just on your list? No, I mean, that's the that's the number one, right? The skin tight, very short checkerboard shorts. Like, that's iconic. It's, it's, it's when we could have fun in this sport with the attire. You get things like that. I mean, either... Top three fight short of all time, like most iconic fight shorts. Hmm. 
Okay, that's tough. I'm trying to think because I think Chuck and Tito. If there's anybody I would pick, Chuck and Tito to me are on the top three because they were so contrasting, right? Flames, ice, yeah, blue, red. Like it was a real Sub Zero Scorpion thing that they had going on, and that to me, I see. I would give. I would put. I would put Chuck in the top three. I would not have Tito. I would have Chuck, BJ, and Crow Cop would be my top three mix. There's so much. Oh, to me, the BJ Black Belt shorts are just unbelievable to me to me i almost think tito's is more iconic because it that dumb flame motif felt so of the time and felt so like representative of exactly what was going on at that point in time you know but those two bj for sure the black belt shorts and then anderson with the yellow anderson's yeah anderson's yellow shorts are up there um i mean they're they're, but these are but i think those four and then crow cop are in the five that to me makes up the five if you wanted, I, I honestly think I might just put Crow Cop at one. Like they're just so iconic to me. Um, so great, great answer. Um, I, just for fun, I also put um, uh, just a poster of Crow Cop doing the Van Dam splits because such that's a good just, gimmick. It's such a good gimmick. It's like you know, back in college when people had the the Michael Jordan palm in the basketball wingspan thing. I wish that I was cool enough that instead of having that poster for my college dorm, I just had Crow Cop doing the splits. Like that would be a much cooler poster of the same ilk. It would start but more discussions. Certainly, it would. People would think it was a little weird, but I'd be okay with it. <laughs> here's the thing I really wanted to talk about, though, because I didn't know where else to put this. Um, there is there's a whole aspect of Crow Cop that I could not figure out where to place it, and so I put it here. I would like. A specific jacket that Krokop was wearing. It's this sort of blue bomberish style jacket that he's wearing when one of the most iconic thing in 2000s MMA happened. I'm speaking, of course, about when he scared Mauro Ronaldo half to death uh, backstage at a Pride event doing the Pride Mauro prank. If you don't know what this is, uh, Mauro Ronaldo, commentator for Pride, is, is set to speak to Krokop. Crow Cop gets kind of surly with him and then is like, hey, aren't you the dude who uh, like said I couldn't beat this guy or whatever? Like while you were commentating, I was like, no, I didn't commentate that fight. And Mirko's like, yeah, you did. Fuck you. And then gets like very menacing tomorrow. And Mauro like sort of backs up and it's like he Mauro starts metaphorically shitting his pants <laughs> that Mirko Crow Cop is about to kill him. And but credit tomorrow, he holds his ground as like, I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't do. I did not work that fight. He has no reason to be angry at me. And at this point, Boss Root and all are crowded around him. And they're like, no, just go apologize. He's like, I'm not going to do it. And then Mirko comes up and is like, I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> and Mauro is like almost in tears of fear. <laughs> like it is, it's, it is a deeply mean thing viewed through a certain lens. And Mirko's like, ah, boss put me up to this. That would be really funny. And everybody is just laughing directly at Mauro's expense. It's an iconic moment of MMA in that period of time. It was all over the forums. If you just Google Mirko Krokop prank, it's the first thing that comes up. Um, I wanted to talk about that and the fact that Mirko Krokop, dude, he's funny as hell. He has a number of good pranks that sort of happened over the course of his career. This is the most memorable one, but... I kind of wanted to talk about that aspect of his personality as well because I think it's important. Low-key hilarious. Also, like, kind of a good Super actor. Funny. Like, he's really convincing. And it, Dude, Morrow was intimidated. Dude, can <laughs> you imagine sure. being in that spot? 
No, I can't. And like apologizing him, profusely for something that I didn't do. That's right. Credit tomorrow. You didn't. But then they asked me like, dude, were you scared? I was like, of course I was scared. It's Mirko Krokop. <laughs> like, it's un unreal. Um, so I wanted to talk about that. I also just wanted to shout. I went down a rabbit hole of Mirko pranks once I got into this. So it's like, oh, that sounds I wanted delightful. to rewatch this prank. It, it's a weird world out there, man. <laughs> Um, so one, you've got this event, like this is obviously the most notable one. Um, there's also another one you can find. There's like a lot of video out there of Mirko, um, dumping ice water on Satoshi Ishii while Ishii is showering. And it's like, he, this is much more of him being like a mischievous little kid. Who's got this like big bowl of ice water and Ishii's in the gym showers. And he's like, and he runs and he gets up and he climbs up to the top of like stands on this toilet and then throws the ice water over the shower and you just hear Ishii scream. He's just like just like a kid, like a mischievous little kid. It's really, really adorable and funny. Two more that are very different but similar. One is there's video of it. It's insane that this happened. The best I could piece together by kind of working this out. This is a, a prank he sort of orchestrated while doing his work with the special forces, because obviously as a police officer, like that's that's where Crow Cop comes from. He's doing a special forces training seminar thing with some dudes, and it is fully videoed, and there's you can go find it out there. A spat happens during the training, whatever, like some dude slaps a guy, um, blah blah blah. The end result is the dude leaves the room. Okay, situation resolved. The dude comes back with an AK-47 and starts shooting it. <laughs> and everyone, like, loses their mind. And then, oh, JK, it's actually not a real AK-47. And it was just, like, a prank to get one of the dudes who was there. It's, it, it is oh insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> From your face, I, you did have not seen this. I had not seen this either until I kind of, like, fell down this rabbit hole. I'm like... What is going on and who jokes with an AK-47? But it's a thing that happened. Um, oh so that's crazy. Um, you know, Croatia is a different world than maybe you and I live in, Gene. <laughs> Shit gets real in Croatia. Oh, my God. And then, that's, yeah. I've never and seen that. This is, that's insane. It's Look it up. It's wild. And then this is the one that I had never – I don't even remember happening, but is maybe the funniest, worst prank I've ever heard of. And it's Fabrizio Verdum famously trained, like was uh, Crow Cops BGJ coach for a long time, like back in Pride days and stuff. They trained together a bunch. And there is a, a story that you can find recounted in the forums and elsewhere of uh, Crow Cop had Verdum came to Croatia to train with Crow Cop. And uh, because Crow Cop is a member of the police, he had his buddies pull, pull Verdum over once Verdum. He knows Verdum's landing. He's going to drive to his house pull him over they ask for his paperwork verdum is like yeah and then they're like this is no good what are you doing here and then they arrest fabricio verdum and verdum's like what are you talking about like i'm here to see mirko Krokop. never heard of him don't know they arrest him put him in the back of his car and then drive him to Krokop's house and then get him out and then he's he's in handcuffs and then Krokop opens the door and verdum figures out what's going on and it's just like Dude, that's a crazy thing, but it's kind of hilarious. Oh, my God. 
He's just like, yeah, Verdun seemed like he was a little bit scared and didn't know what's going on. I was like, well, no shit. He just got arrested by cops in a country he doesn't live in or speak the language. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> the point of this all is that Mirko Krokop, a bit of a joker, um, and as you kind of dig into it more, you find out more things about this. And I didn't have anywhere else to put this stuff, so I chose to put it in this particular category, Sheen. I hope you've learned more about Mirko Krokop and respect him more. Because I think the Verdum thing is kind of mean, but definitely funny. Who knew? Who knew this man was such a jokester? I love it. He's like the he's he, he would fit well with the Jackass crew. It feels like. Oh, it'd be perfect. It's just like the amount of jokes you can pull off when you're a cop, and you're just ah, oh, just arrest my buddy. It'll be so fun. It's so ridiculous to do. It's just this man was a member of Parliament. And it's just doing shit like this. I just gotta say, I'm deeply respecting how far people are willing to take it in Croatia. It seems like we're, we're yeah. talking about AKs, we're talking about fake arrests. Like these are more than just normal pranks, and I'm here for Dude, it. The AK one is absolutely insane, and I was like, this feels like it's a bridge too far. But you know, however it goes. Our next category, uh, the Habib Tony Award for. Fight that you wanted, but never ended up making, you know, never got never got to happen, never got made. This was, I think there's a clear answer here. And I think it's the number one answer. It's Randy Couture, right? Is that is that your number one answer, Sheen? I guess. Let's start there. That was my answer because ultimately I think Rokop fought everyone who he should have fought. And it's very rare we I get largely agree. It's very rare we get people like that, but that was the one fight that we just didn't get. That we should have gotten because Randy Couture is the UFC champion at that point, especially when Crow Cop comes over. That should have happened. That was a fight that was talked about in the forums for a long time. It was very dumb that we didn't get it. That would have been a meaningful fight for the history of the sport. I think so. I ultimately chose it because I think it's the fight that is I'm the most angry we didn't get. Because like Habib Tony is the namesake of this award. They tried. I, they tried to make this fight happen, and the gods willed it not to. It is unfortunate. I am. I, I wish it had, but you know, you book it four or five times. Five times, and when you book it four times, it fails. And the fifth time, a global pandemic intervenes. At some point, you might just say the gods don't want this thing to occur. With with Randy, they never tried. They never tried. He fought Eddie Sanchez when he came to the UFC, which. I remember thinking it was dumb at the time, but like, fine. You know, it's his first fight in a cage. You want to let him have that experience. Like, he wants that experience, whatever. He beats Eddie Sanchez. Why is there a title eliminator with Gabriel Gonzaga? It would never happen today. There is no reason for it to, to do that. You just, you have the fight. Everyone wants the fight. Just make the fight happen and... I think part of it was, it, honestly, at the time, and I can't speak say whether this is true or not, honest, at the time it honestly felt like Dana White and the Fertitas were still trying to flex a little bit of muscle over the pride acquisitions. That's why, you know, we have Shogun come in. He doesn't get to fight for a title. He has to fight for us. That doesn't go very well. Like they, It's like, yeah, you're going to have to earn your stripes here instead of just being like, dude, everyone knows Crow Cop's one of the best dudes in the world. It's the fight we want. Let's make it happen. I'm also very upset because I I can't be sure. Feel like Krokop wins that fight. Like I always felt that Krokop had a very good chance to knock out old Randy. And then think about how his the paradigm of his career shifts with that win. So yeah, uh ultimately won mine, but 
One, I also noted uh, Alistair Overeem just because they met a dream. It was a no contest after a groin shot. And that feels like a fight that honestly should have happened as well, but kind of never – we didn't get a satisfactory one. Really weird. Really and weird that it never really did. They were in the yeah, same places multiple times. Forever. Yeah. Um, it, that feels like the fight should have happened. They did fight, but it it was that weird one. And then this one – I didn't really remember being possible, but buddy, let me tell you, I alluded to this earlier, that rise in Grand Prix, there was a very, very realistic world where that semifinal matchup, instead of Mirko Krokop taking on Baruto Kaito, he's fighting Yuri Prohashka. And I got to say, <laughs> sign me the fuck up for that one, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mirko Krokop on all the extra vitamins against against full wild man Yuri Prohashka, that is, that's something that I would have enjoyed a, an immense amount at that time. So those are my three. Did you have any other ones beyond the Randy fight? Well, first of all, I've never thought of the idea of Yuri versus Pro- Krokop until – this conversation and now I'm I'm deeply sorry. It was pretty good, right? I'm deeply sorry that we didn't see that because that would have just been That's the thing is I didn't think about it either until I went looking into this Ryzen thing and I was like, dude, that was really possible to happen. And uh man, we missed out. Um so yeah, that was and then I started thinking, I was like, that could have been pretty fun. <laughs> that could have been pretty fun. <laughs> Did you have any uh, alternates here outside of the Randy first first ballot? No, I mean, ultimately for me, it is the Randy one, and I don't want to step on our next category, but I kind of will right here because obviously that's the TJ Grant alternate. This one overlaps alternate universe award, and you sort of alluded to it. The UFC fucked this up. The UFC fucked it up so hard. Maybe not for their sake, because I think for them, they didn't care about the legacy of Krokop, and they didn't care about making that fight. Really, they cared about proving that the UFC guys were superior to the pride guys, because that was very much a conversation point for so long in their history. And always it was just all like, Oh, well the prize guys will smash the UFC guys, particularly a heavyweight. Yeah. And the and light heavyweight where you get Shogun coming over and losing to yeah, forest. Yeah. And it's like a signature guy beating a signature guy, that type of thing. But I agree with you. I think if, if you make, like, I understand the first fight, right? The Eddie Sanchez one, same with Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva coming in here, fighting Chris Lieben. You got to let people know who this person is. Maybe they get him a highlight. They can use the footage. But once you've told the story once, and it's, hey, this is this guy, this terrifying, fearsome guy who's one of the best in the world, you're introduced to him. Hey, here you go. You knocked this guy out. Once you've told that story once, you don't need to tell it a second time before you give the man. Like, what was going on in the heavyweight division at that point that they couldn't just let Krokop fight for the belt? Are you kidding me? And so it's it's all such like a self-inflicted wound because I agree. I think if he fights Randy Couture, that's an incredible style matchup for Krokop. Krokop's been beating dudes like Randy for most of his career. I think he washes old Randy Couture. And then he we have Krokop, UFC heavyweight champion, on the resume. And it's just such a missed opportunity. It is, it is such a devastatingly missed opportunity because this is – there's just no reason to – do it like it just didn't make any sense like randy had just fought um tim sylvia in like like the month before they do the gonzaga fight it's like okay instead you could just have like Krokop had already come he'd already been thing just have him sitting there next at, at ufc 68 to to fight tim sylvia it's gonna be here's the next dude up pride versus the ufc we get to do it he's the pride open weight champion and instead like it doesn't happen, and 
and for nothing. So I, I pulled this up. Couture Gonzaga, which is the fight we ultimately ended up getting, of course, sells 500,000 pay-per-views. It's a good – I mean, that's a good number, but that's kind of the number they were just generally doing at that point in time. You cannot tell me that Couture Krokop at that point doesn't sell way more than that because, at, like, the the movement behind Krokop, it was just such an unnecessary miss. This is also my TJ Grant I normally try to avoid this, but like kind of doing the overlap there. But it's just like, what if we didn't do stupid, useless tune-up fights and just had had the guy fight? How, where would we be? His career would obviously be looked at differently. Be UFC heavyweight champion. You know, he probably loses the belt pretty soon because he does not have a terrific run in in the UFC. Well, frankly. hold on. So real quick, um, right? Because. There's another element to this that we haven't mentioned, and we haven't mentioned this man's name really throughout this podcast, but Gonzaga beats Krokop, fights Randy for the title, loses. Who's Randy Couture's next title defense? It's Brock Lesnar. It's Brock Lesnar. If if Mirko Krokop come- beats Randy, he is then the champion. He is the one who meets Brock Lesnar for this final boss battle. And can you imagine? And then that pro- – can you imagine the pay-per-views that that would have sold if it's Randy Couture – or I'm sorry, if it's Brock Lesnar coming in against Mirko freaking Krokop, who has not lost at the, in this alternate scenario as the UFC heavyweight champion? Like that is an iconic fight. That is then instantly an iconic pay-per-view. Does he fight Brock? I'm trying to think because also Randy did take that like extended time off where he's fighting with the UFC trying to get the Fedor fight. Um, obviously, Krokop. It was about a year, though. There, there was only really a year between yeah. Gonzaga and Lesnar. Like, I think that maybe maybe Krokop has to fight somebody else as a t- as first title defense. But ultimately, the UFC heavyweight division wasn't like full of killers at that point. I think he probably wins that fight, and then he is the guy fighting Brock. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, maybe he fights. Honestly, the most likely outcome, I guess, because at that point in time, what sort of ends up happening is that's when. Uh, Tim Tim Sylvia just lost to Randy, but then after like that's when we get Noguera fights Tim Sylvia for the interim heavyweight championship. Is that right? Yeah, he or, yeah he fights for the for the interim, and that's that's ends up how that going. So like if he gets to either fight Noguera or Tim Sylvia, like one of those two dudes, pretty big fight. Like Tim Sylvia, it's a fight that I don't care that didn't happen, but is another one of those that, like. They were they were pillars of that time period, so you get it. Um, maybe maybe he gets his opportunity at revenge against Nogueira, then he fights Brock. Yeah, like there's it's just a way better world if they don't fuck around and make him fight Gabriel Gonzaga for whatever God God knows what reason they did that. Yeah. So tough scenes. Uh, I will also shout out briefly at the Habib Tony thing. Uh, we just never got the rematch with Fedor. I think it's fine that we didn't. But there were several kind of opportunities. There was the opportunity in Bellator at the end of their careers. There were just windows where it could have happened and sort of never came to fruition. And uh, I don't think it was necessary, but I would have obviously loved to watch them fight again because their first one was significant and, and substantial. It would have been fun, but I'm, it would have been fun. But I also don't hate that it didn't happen because it does feel like yeah. it makes the actual fight that much more special just a little bit of like this is was genuinely a once in a lifetime once in a generation once of the era type of moment and if you missed it you missed it and it's gone you missed it yeah it's it's why it's not high on the list but i did want to shout it out 
We're coming up. We're, we're closing down just a few categories left. The Dan Henderson H-bomb, or this is for if you could take one thing that the fighter does, one skill set, one one part of their career and add it to your own or create a fighter, what would it be? Do come we on. even need to discuss come it? Come on. <laughs> on my sheet, I literally it's, have written. Come on. Come on. It's, it's uh, I'll tell you, there was a very... When I was kind of structuring these categories, I almost did left leg uh, cemetery here instead of doing it as the quote thing, just because is there a more iconic weapon in the history of mixed martial arts than Mirko Krokop's left leg? I'm not sure there is. I mean, the, not sure there is. So H bomb, H bomb, and a couple others are probably like the Mount Rushmore. Like they're there, yeah. they're with it. I don't know if anything's more iconic. They are all right there with, like they are all in that god tier of it. So. Um, easy choice. I will also just, as I went, we watched a shout out to other parts of his game that I don't think uh, get remembered in the same way. His left straight and his uppercut, particularly the rear hand uppercut. Oh, buddy, those things are mean. Like he is, and we talked about a lot. He was so mean in the ring, and those things are that they'll kill you just just as viciously as that left head kick will man they are nasty nasty business i think also his ability to translate intensity with silence is real like real real underrated it goes back to the stare down with vanderlei of just like dude is unflappable in a way that is so terrifying to just watch but it, but it's outwardly unflat. Like it's it's not that sort of stoic. I don't give a fuck that Fedor has no. for everything. It is like a I give so many it's fucks. A quiet intensity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It is quiet intensity there for sure. The Brad I'm Fun with Stats Award, named after Brad I'm the hillbilly heartthrob heavyweight who once famously won back to back fights by Kogo Plata. Super weird, and that's what this is. What are weird stats or, or fun things you can do? Uh, I will one. Just to shout back out to the reason we're doing it. He fought 10 times on December 31st in 52 career fights. That's that I, I didn't look around. Pretty sure that's the record. I strongly doubt anyone has fought more consistently on the same date than this man has. Uh, but the other ones I had, I didn't spend too much time on this category, honestly, because I just didn't care enough uh, this time around. Fought eight times in 2004, which is just an insane number of times to do fist fighting. And then the thing I didn't realize, but it's right there on Wikipedia, he holds the Zufa record for most finishes, most first-round finishes, most most finishes by kicks, and most head kick knockouts, which is you know incorporating WEC, UFC, Pride, the whole Zufa organization at the time. I straight up did not realize that like if you factor all of that in, he still is there because so many of those records have fallen as – more fighters have been around and fighting forever and ever under the same sort of UFC banner. But Krokop, he knocked out like 12 dudes in the first round. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It is very much a good thing. Yeah, I have two for these, uh, two for this category, I should say. One is an offshoot of one we've already mentioned a couple times, which was the activity level. February 2004 to February 2005 fights nine times. And every single opponent has a Wikipedia page. Every single one. Dude, he, I think the only person that doesn't have a Wikipedia page is Ibrahim yes. Mekhamedov. <laughs> like it's, it's just 
Like it's insane. He fought like real people, even if some of them weren't like real, real. Like they were still like humans who could fist fight. I mean, even to that degree, fifty-two MMA fights and fifty Wikipedia pages for opponents is pretty. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a, it's not bad. That is. I've been doing this a while now, boys and girls. That is not something that happens. There are very few fighters with with something like we made note of it when it's like, oh, everyone BJ fought has a Wikipedia page or whatever. It's like, oh, Brock Lesnar was, I think, our first person who everyone they had fought had a Wikipedia page. He also fought twelve times, not fifty-two of them. And then my other one on this was almost like unrelated, but semi-related. The man was working as a actual working politician in Croatian parliament for t- from 2003 to 2008, which was the majority of his prime. The, the peak of his years. He was just like an active politician in Croatia during all of this. It's, it's very odd. It's very, very <laughs> he's, he's had such a singular kind of career in that way. Like... Manny Pacquiao-esque and like, yeah, I'm I'm a politician, but I also fist fight people. Okay. But like, That's my day job. Manny, Manny Pacquiao's doing like boxing high level boxing matches that which are in like a very respected sport. Crow Cops out here in like some OG blood sport, cowboy day era, Yakuza and his friends just arrested. Like, you know, having ridiculous those Karras Jr. type of fights. When you put it like that. This is a sitting member of Croatian parliament who is having indirect but almost direct like monthly interactions with the Yakuza. That's pretty pretty funny. You think about it like that. It's just an incredible time. What a a time. He's getting paid by the Yakuza. Now, not for his political parts, one would assume, though I guess we can't say that with absolute certainty, but it's like frequently receiving big bags of money from Yakuza it's everybody and and all of that ranks wouldn't even rank on like a top 10 of weird shit going on in pride during that time like just such an amazing time that will never ever be replicated never have it back sean ferris awards our next category this is for the actor who should play mirko krokop if they made a movie about his life uh fun fact they did make a documentary about him uh this is way back in the day uh i watched it with subtitles it's not that interesting um (laughs) It's just not like it's it's the same sort of thing, but it's also made in like 2004 and it's cranny and not all that good. I really, really struggled here, Shaheen. Really struggled to find someone that I think could play him. I have two answers and mostly I would like to blend the two of them together because I don't feel like either of them is perfect. First one is Jamie Dornan, who I think sort of has enough of the facial features to kind of maybe make that work. Um, but I wasn't in love with it. And then I think I settled on the answer that if I had to pick, again, I don't feel great about it, but Mirko is such a physically imposing figure. I think you need that physicality to really get him across. And uh, this, this man, this man can, can play it all. He's, he's, he's not Italian, but they made him Enzo Ferrari and it worked out. Give me Adam driver to be Mirko Crow cop. He is, he's a large and physically imposing person. And a damn fine actor, and so I think we can make it work, even if it's not ideal. I don't. You kind of broke my brain with that. I don't know how to parse this. Like it, I, I, I struggled so hard. There was nobody that really jumped out perfectly for me, and I just watched Ferrari. Quite a good movie. I recommend. It was like, uh, 
He because he is every time Adam Driver is on screen in Ferrari, you're like he's awkwardly large for all the. He's kind of got around. the wide body thing, right? Like the barrel he's chest. Very, like he's very wide. He's barrel chested. He's six three or whatever, and like, you know, he is built. He is a physically built person. We need to put a little more on him to get him up to crow cop, but um, you know, some prosthetics and the man's a damn fine actor. So this is the best I could come up with. Hmm. I'm not sold, but I'm willing to work with you on that one. I think you could convince me. Get some good prosthetics okay. on him. Yeah, the prosthetics are, are going to be necessary, but he played Enzo Ferrari, and he did a pretty damn good job. I feel like he can pull off Mirko Krokop. Is that movie worth watching? It's quite good. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, it's not Michael Mann's like best film or whatever, well, but I it's assume. quite good. And Well, yeah, it's, it's quite good. I mean, if I can do what Michael Mann pulls off when I'm 80, I'll feel incredibly accomplished. <laughs> um, and also there's a... I won't say it's a twist at the ending, but there's a thing that happens at the ending, which is the most surprised I've been in a movie since like Zombieland. <laughs> so okay, if you're if you're still it's, it's cool. if you're still podcasting at eighty and you're still pulling out damn episodes of Colby Covington at eighty three because you've run out of subjects, I, I will be very impressed with you. Uh, I'll be really impressed if I'm if I'm podcasting at eighty to even a tenth of the ability Michael Mann's putting out film. So hell yeah. What did you have here, Sheen? So this is never my category. I never really have very many good things uh, for this. I didn't really... I, you're right. Crow Cop is so singular. I didn't really have... I couldn't come it's up really with anybody. Tough. I couldn't come up with anybody I liked. So I'm, I'm willing to work with the Adam Driver one. The, hey, Jamie Dornan, okay. I don't really see it. I'm staring at this quite a bit. I don't really see where you get to it. But Adam Driver, I think you'll work with. Well, this next one's going to be easy to work with. It's the Cole Conrad Career Change Award. For what would this fighter do if they uh, weren't an MMA fighter? And, you know, it's it's in the name, Shaheen. The name is Mirko Filipovich, but nobody calls him that. They call him Krokop. Arguably the stupidest good nickname in the history of the sport. He's a Croatian cop, and it somehow it works. It's so catchy. He, it's so stupid it's catchy. So good. It's so good for such a silly name to have been like, hey, we're not – this isn't like you are just Crow Cop. You are not Mirko. Like you're just Mirko Crow Cop now is your name. It's such a silly name. He would just be a cop if he was an MMA fighter. I know this because that's that's what he was even while he was an MMA fighter. So police officer slash member of parliament is the answer for this category. Again, I've said this so many different times over the course of doing all these shows, but just like such a different time where like you look at his Wikipedia entry, it's Mirko Crow Cop. It's not Mirko Filipich. <laughs> like it's Crow Cop. It's Shogun Hua. It's Rampage Jackson. It's all these dudes were their nickname. If you look in our database on MMA fighting, like a fighter tag database, he is tagged as Mirko Crow Cop. It's just, it's, he's synonymous with it. We don't have this anymore. Yeah, it's just I'm trying to think like is there anybody like, like Blood that? Diamond, I guess, really? but like come on. Blood Blood Diamond is I, I guess it, but also he's not very good. Yeah, that's so. sort of like we don't have high level guys who are just yeah. they're actually synonymous with nicknames rather than the real name. Because it's also not like Filipovich is the most difficult name. Like people people took to you on a champion because it's really hard to spell you on J check, right? Yeah. But it's not like we can all say Filipovich. It's not that difficult of a thing to get across. It's like, nah, Krokov is just better. 
But like Yuan and Jacek's yeah. wiki entry is still Yen Jacek, you know? Like she should still yeah, be referred so Jacek, to as yeah. Yen Jacek on these broadcasts. Maybe the Korean zombie is the only other one who's like a, a, a modern day guy. Korean absolutely taken it. But yeah. he's not really a modern day guy either. It's There's like a, this next generation, the Bo Nickel generation, all these guys coming in. Who's the nickname guy? Who's the good nickname guy who's synonymous with his no nickname? One. No one. We got nothing. Really? I mean, we really don't have even a lot of good nicknames anymore. There's a, a dearth of creativity right now in MMA yeah. as a whole. And this is one That's of the far. examples. Our final category of the evening, the look at me now! Leon Edwards Award for the best moment of their career. The Apex Mountain, where it is the peak of the career. Don't doubt to miss Super easy for me super easy. as well. Super, super easy. Uh, I'm assuming that when we when I say super easy, this means we'll both. Uh, it's September 10th, 2006. It is the evening he won the Pride Openweight Grand Prix. Absolutely. Uh, it's the biggest accomplishment of his career after the fact. I mean, Mirko is quoted as saying that he uh, had seriously considered retiring if he did not win this. Um, I think the only blemish you can put it all upon this event in total, I mean, one of the best Grand Prix ever, is that this event was originally set up to have uh, Mirko rematch Fedor during it, and then injuries kind of intervened, and that's where we go. But this is the peak of his powers physically, athletically, a star power. Everything comes together in, in a brilliant night. That's why he is the 2006 Fighter of the Year. If if he had retired after this, I'm glad he didn't because of that that you know that second great leg of his career that we talked about. But this is the easy peak for me. No, it's the zenith. This is the apex. This is everything. I mean, it was never it was never better than it was on that night, and almost immediately it was worse, right? Because then he goes straight to the UFC, and the UFC stuff starts happening. And it's just this was this was the apex. It was one of the most memorable nights in the history of the sport. Dude, think about that. Exactly what you just said. He goes from beating, you know, Vanderlei Silva, Josh Burnett in the same night to winning this incredible, wonderful accomplishment to fighting Eddie Sanchez <laughs> in Las Vegas. Only like five months like, later, a, like it was, it was a pretty game. quick turnaround. Uh, what if you go from this thing to being the co-main event to Anderson Silva, Travis Luter, and you're fighting Eddie Sanchez? <laughs> What a what a fall off, man! That is such a goddamn bummer. Oh, oh, and that's it, ladies and gentlemen. It brings us to the end of our show, which is the final. It's not really a category. It's it's just closing shop. This is where we have spent almost two hours talking about the esteemed Mirko Krokop. We've talked about it a lot, but in case we, you know, there's anything else we want to say, now's the time to do it. So Shaheen. The floor is yours. What are your final thoughts on Mirko Krokop? I don't have much to add outside of what we've already said, but I do wonder, and I wonder a lot often with these type of figures when we do these shows, what do you think the fan base of MMA today thinks of Mirko, knows of Mirko, how they regard him? I imagine that he is respected and not revered at large. I think there's enough exposure to his high moments that 
real fans, not just like super casual, but fans who are like a little more deeply invested, the kind of fans who are either listening to this show or yeah, listening to like our, COVID, you know, our COVID generation fans who came on yeah. during that or even Connor generation. I think they probably know enough about him to respect that he did some cool things, but that they largely think that he was overrated and maybe not that good because of sort of how that UFC run went. And there is such a, as much as I hate it and think that it is, a very idiotic way to approach things. I fundamentally disagree with it. There is such an undercurrent in the MMA fan base of, against performance enhancing drugs and a dismissal of those who may or may not have used them. Cause I, I think actually Mirko never was officially caught taking them, but well, he popped for they, HGH to heal his injury late in the UFC stuff. He did, but I didn't, I think he admitted to that, like to doing that, but then also didn't he not fail that test when it came back on the second sample? It was a, it was a weird setup. Yeah, it might have been like that. I can't remember. Often. Yeah, I, my recollection is that like he just admitted to doing it, but that he actually didn't. He got a sample flagged, but then actually didn't fail when they did like the deeper dive, but he just admitted it. it was like, oh, yeah, no, I just did that. So, but you know, like we don't know that he took drugs during his pride run. Probably did. Um, I think there's just such a dismissal from a, a vocal section of the fan base is like that that doesn't count. And so I disagree with that. But I think that a lot of people will hold that sort of part of his career against him for that. I think you're right. I think a lot of what you just said, the assessment feels on point, in particular because this this fandom goes through phases, right? Like we, we talk about it all this time, mm-hmm. all the time, but there's the Connor generation, then there's the COVID generation. Like it's cycles, it's five year cycles of just people falling in and falling out of this sport. It bums me out to a certain degree just because I wish there was somewhere. I wish there was a physical place that people could go, whether it's in Las Vegas, whether it's in New York, whether it's in the middle of Nebraska, Psychoma. nowhere. Yeah, just somewhere. Well, somewhere in America that people could go to have a tangible hall of fame to walk through and see these type of memories see the iconic moments from this era him versus fedor all everything that we've talked about over the past two two hours i wish there was some way for newer people to be indoctrinated in it outside of just listening to shows like this and maybe one night being bored and be like oh everyone talks about this crow cop guy let me go see what he's about on fight pass or youtube it's a real disservice to MMA that that doesn't exist because he deserves, I think Crow Cop deserves better. Shogun deserves better. Like all these guys of this era that never really made the mark in the Western world that we had hoped, but who still have such an indelible legacy and such an indelible impact on what created MMA and what MMA was at, you know, the peak of these years, these golden years. I just wish there was somewhere like that because it feels like Crow Cop is one of those guys that will be forgotten to a certain degree. I don't know that he'll ever be a UFC Hall of Famer or anything like that. He will not. And so it's just like, what does that mean? If Crow Cop isn't a Hall of Famer, who is actually a Hall of Famer? Your sport's just dumb if a person like that isn't remembered in that way, right? I think that's um, a really depressing view that I hadn't considered. But like, yeah, because he's not going to be. The UFC's not going to induct him because they don't Nothing in his UFC run was there. And while we sort of talk about that with Fedor and kind of understand and accept it, Fedor is such an outlier that it it's kind of okay. Um, with Krokop, it feels less okay. Because people know Fedor. Is, like even even yeah. now, people still know Fedor, like newer fans, because 
just he's been around long enough and we and he's a one word name fedor and it's just i don't know there's a he reached a level where it was just so widely ubiquitously known and i don't know that crow cop reached that level i don't i think you're right also it's just like fedor is because there's not like the um you know i'm trying to think of trying to think of the comparison i mean fedor fedor's exclusion from the ufc hall of fame makes sense because he didn't find the ufc ever but also, like, it, it's part of him, so it becomes like, it's like, oh, Barry Bonds isn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but we all kind of know that. Like, that's part of it. P. Rose isn't in there. We're all, that's, with, with Crow Cop, it doesn't feel like he's elevated to that realm of, it's notable that he is not in there. It's just sort of sad that he is not in there. But that's a bummer, because my sort of lasting impression as I did this was, Man, Crow Cop's crew was so much more fun than I remembered it being. Absolutely. And I remembered it being really fun. But I love doing this show. I say it every time because I get to kind of reconsider these careers in the aftermath. And I loved Crow Cop during that period of time. And then he hasn't fought for a while. But now I get to go back and I get to relive the days that I loved and they are as fun as I did. And then I get to remember that, yeah, his UFC run was disappointing. But the whole second act, third act of his career was really really fun and no he wasn't the best fighter in the world at that point in time winning winning the rise in grand prix but i don't need you to be the best fighter in the world <laughs> like that's not important what was important is he was having fun i we were having fun sort of going on that journey and getting in well his, his retirement is not uplifting in the way that it happened because he suffered a stroke etc to look back on him and be like hey he retired on a 10 fight win streak that's fucking impossible in MMA. That shit doesn't happen. Crazy. It shit never happens. Like, we spent much of last year talking about, man, we've had a couple of unbelievable retirements. Amanda Nunes and Robbie Lawler are immediately, like, two of the five best retirements in MMA history. Nunes retires a champion. That doesn't happen every day. So that's obviously great. Robbie Lawler won one fight, like, and, it, and we all thought he was going to lose it, and it was awesome. And so it's not, like, the best retirement that's ever happened in the sport. But like prior to that, he had been kind of losing in these tough fights, and it been that's not the end we got for Mirko, and it's so satisfying in a way that is different from kind of a lot of other things. And so even if his career, you know, he never was an undisputed champion in MMA, who gives a shit? He was awesome. He gave us a million highlights, and like I said, kind of in the hot take, if you're just trying to kill an hour. You got nothing to do and you want to watch some people fight and you've never watched Mirko Crow Copper. You kind of know him in passing. Dude, fire up Fight Pass and just click on any of them. Not any of the UFC fights because those don't matter, but click, it's like search Mirko and fire up any Pride fight. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a good time. And that's awesome. Like that was, I was so happy doing this. The fun I had with the K1 dives, with all of it, and the fact that it ended in a way that wasn't irrepressibly sad like it was sad in the moment in the same way that habib's retirement is sad because of how it happened but the fact that he got out of it largely with his health and his faculties intact and didn't get forced out of it because the sport could no longer accept him is it was tremendous and i, I had a really really good time and mirko Krokop, to you i say thank you and damn you're good and that's it ladies and gentlemen another episode is in the books the final episode of 2023 
if I were a better podcaster, I would have um, all of the episodes that I we did so I could know how many we covered, but I don't have that up. What I do have for you is this. Our next gentleman, Shane, it's going to be fun. You're, you're going to be along for the ride on this one. It's Kimbo Slice, baby. Oh, yeah, so let's next. go. Kimbo Slice is our next. Damn, they were good. We're kicking off 2024 in style. Um, we may make a few changes, may add some categories, may remove some categories. Just want to keep things a little fresh. But we're going to be talking about Kimbo Slice and one of the five greatest fights in MMA oh history. I'm talking, of course, about Kimbo Dada 5000. But that comes in a couple of weeks. Until then, Happy New Year, everybody. I look forward to y'all sticking with us through all 2024. Sheen, Alshadi, thank you for coming on this Mirko Crow Cop journey. And until next time, love you. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.